Welcome to the show. Uh, of course, uh, Joe joining us. Uh, hopefully, uh, there's no uh, wear collies out there. No, no. But I have a question. If I uh, have three doses of melange, is that a melange et toi? Uh, I, I, I would say yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Judges? Yes. Okay. Uh, and... <laughs> And of course, uh, Miles, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, well, of course, but Joe, of course, is going to be talking about Norm Macdonald, one of our birthday celebrities this week. And Miles, you're going to be uh, uh, going back to the Great War, WW1. Yes, yes, uh, specifically on uh, Hill 60. All right, there we go. And uh, last but not least, of course, Michelle, uh, you have curated some uh, awesome recommendations and trailers. For Werewolf Eat Night on the program tonight, and that is very exciting. And of course, Bella Lugosi uh, has a birthday this week, and we're going to be talking about Bella uh, off and on a little, maybe a little bit in the first hour, but then the last hour, I'm going to talk about uh, the the his latter day career with Ed Wood and his unfortunate passing. Um, but yeah, so Michelle, werewolves. Yeah, what? and um. We also have some really, really cool uh, birthdays for the trailer uh, break as well, because um, oh, there right. are so many birthdays this month. I mean, even Carrie Fisher, I mean, this week, even Carrie Fisher. Yeah. So, you know, but I couldn't really find a, a decent enough horror trailer for her. So. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah. But yeah, we're talking werewolves. Um, werewolves have been around, um, you know, in, in our folklore for, for centuries, millennia. Um, everything back from, you know, the birth of Rome with Romulus and Remus and, you know, being suckled by, by a wolf and, you know, all, all of that, all up until the present day, you know, we have psychological terms, you know, a lunatic, sure. you know, is related in, in, in some part to the mythos of werewolves where people have a moon madness. Um, but it has been movie fodder. For as long as we've had motion pictures. It really has. And, uh, and oh, special treat for us tonight, too. Adam Hebert, uh, I told him that we were doing wolf werewolves, and he uh, got some Norse wolf mythology for us for oh, his very cool moment tonight. But tell me, Michelle, why do you like werewolves so much? Before we get into the into the gritty-nitty in history of it, what, what, why, why are you uh, attracted to werewolves? 
vampires are my favorite, but werewolves are very... The mythos of them has morphed just like the vampires have. Um, they have become, they have been everything from brutal, sadistic, demonic killers, you know, something that could, a curse that could be spread from person to person, all the way up to now, you know, the the whole Team Edward, Team whatever the hell the other yeah. guy's name is, <laughs> werewolf guys. I don't, I, I know, no, I have this, I haven't watched them, so let's that. I've read them, but that was a long time ago. Don't blame you. That's um, fine. But to me, it's another one. It, you know, it's another one of the creatures that you know, even though it, it you know, mythologically and and in folklore, that it's it's like a demonic or a curse. Mm-hmm. It's it's another one of these monsters that shows us an aspect of human nature. Yeah, Maybe I mean, they're harkening you know, back they're, to they're, our feral roots. Correct. And, you know, it's it's a way for us as, you know, our, you know, the, the way for us in the dark of night to explain murders or act, act, uh, act, um, actions that we, we couldn't really explain. We couldn't say why this guy went and tore up th- these people in the house. So it had to be something supernatural, you know. Yeah. So and, you know, they they would label it with the werewolf or the vampire or, you know, with with some sort of otherworldly explanation to it. Yeah. Some and, legend. And it's also the freedom of the transformation. You go from a thinking human being to an animalistic nature that pretty much, you know, it, it, it's, it's another way of us saying, you know, when you're the animal, you no longer have any morals, no responsibilities, no, you know, uh, uh, personality that's overriding the animalistic nature that everybody hides within. That's perfect. I, I dig that. So, so, yeah. So it's nice it's breakout. one, of, and they have become sexy now. You know. <laughs> oh yeah, give it time. Even or Frank nerdy it. or nerdy fun like Oz was in. Um, uh, Seth Green played Oz in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Well, in hell, they cast Aaron Eckhart in I Frankenstein too. So you know, even Frankenstein got sexy after a while. <laughs> yeah, you got Hugh Jackman playing Van Helsing, who turns into a werewolf in that movie. That's right. That's right. That was a fun movie. It's so it's stupid, but it's fun. Yeah, I enjoy it. And the difference in werewolf movies too is absolutely spectacular. Um, mm-hmm. with, like like uh, with the Wolfman, with with Bela Lugosi and Lon Chaney. Yeah, you know that was one of the first ones that people recognize as you know the iconic Universal Wolfman. Mm-hmm. And the the funny there there there's some trivia about that that movie which which I enjoy. I wasn't able to find a decent trailer for it because mostly back then the, the trailers were all visual. Yeah. With very little, you know, explanation of what the trailers for. <laughs> so hey, it's just yeah, usually I've, a lot of I've, really loud music. <laughs> I've run into that too. Yeah, because a lot of it, you know, they just flash, uh, uh, you know, shock, terror on the screen or whatever. Yes. So. <laughs> Your eyes will believe what they see. But there's a, there's so much fun about that movie and the the, the pop culture that has come around and, and the references that have come around to that movie since then. Um, there's a famous poem that they say in the movie. Um, it's even a man who's pure of heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolfbane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. What's funny about that is it has been listed on some sources as an authentic gypsy or Eastern European folk saying. And the writer admits that he simply made it up. 
Nice. That's pretty awesome, so, though. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and uh, you know, and, and honestly, because you know, uh, the the you know, we get a, a nice, bright, full autumn moon. You know, uh, well, several. You know, it's when honestly, you know, the the moon is out the longest. You know, and uh, you know, travels across the sky rather rapidly, and uh, you know, it, it, it uh, it's um, you know, it's it's a, a werewolf is a really a super Halloweeny creature. Yeah, and, and the closer the moon is in its orbit to the Earth, the 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 stronger the pull on the tides. So that yeah. would make people think it would have some sort of influence. You know, supposedly the the myth is that more babies are born on the night of the full moon. Yeah, yeah. So, and, um, you know, and uh, be, being a werewolf, you know, werewolves could actually, if you died, if you were a werewolf and you died, you could become a vampire in some of the le legends. Oh, wow. So that was one of the precursors to being a vampire, is being a werewolf and dying, not being properly disposed of, and then you become a vampire. <laughs> You'll live forever now. Oh, there's, yeah. There's perks. Um, uh, one, one, one thing that, that Joe might enjoy about this, uh, one of the, one of the bits of trivia about this movie I just found out is that the wolf that Larry Talbert fights, um, as was Lon Chaney's own German shepherd. Ooh. Wow. Rent in 10? No, it wasn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was his own dog. So, you know, wow. he used his own dog for the trip. Wow. Did you like, uh, Michelle, did you like? The Harry Potter series? Yes, I did. Okay, did you like the character uh, Lupin? Remus Lupin? The, I don't remember much of him. Um, he was Harry Potter's godfather, I believe. And he was a vamp. He was a... Uh, uh, well, he was a, a changeling, but he was... A werewolf. A werewolf. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I, I, probably, I probably just don't remember him offhand. It's been a while since I've read the books, and I haven't seen the movies in forever. So. Oh, and Joe, I just Googled it. Uh, uh, Lon Chaney, his dog's name was Tin Tin Rin, actually. <laughs> so. No. <laughs> it was Ron Ton Ton. <laughs> it, it, was, it was Sharky. <laughs> Sharky. Anyway. Shaggy. Different kind of uh, furry beast. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, but yeah, Michelle, uh, please proceed. Yeah, so um, it's 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 uh, Bella Lugosi had originally actually um, campaigned to be the lead role, but unfortunately he ended up being just a minor supporting character in the movie. Yeah, but um, it's you know one of the few times he actually will appear with Lon Chaney it, as Lon Chaney as the werewolf because he also did it later in one of the Frankenstein films. I think Frank was it uh, Dracula Dracula meets Frankenstein or something. So. Yeah, I'm not. Um, um, yeah, I'll look that up for you. I'll find out. But uh, yeah, I didn't write that down, but it's something that just popped into my head. But yeah, so you you have that version of the werewolf, the old classical, you know, gypsy curse. You know, something bad's happening. Get the old gyp the, uh, the 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 Romani in their um, camp, and you know they they're being blamed for things, and then it turns out that you know the gypsy's son is yeah. But and then you go to the other brands of werewolves. Now this one is Wolfen from 1981. 
All right, and I should stop Googling things. Orion Pictures presents Wolfen. For centuries, they have been hiding in the rubble of your cities. The concealed threat. The invisible terror. can sense the rhythm of your blood. Hear clouds pass overhead. See where you are blind. A force so deadly, it will tear the screen from your throat. Wherever you are, they are. Somewhere in the world, every other day, a corporate executive is assassinated. Team her up with Wilson. Phil Mahoney, I'm comfortable with. You're uncomfortable? With surprises. There's not a trace, not a speck of metal. Nothing softer could have ripped and ravaged like this. Is it an animal? Well, it ain't human. Do you realize how many people disappear without a trace? Something out there might be eating people. since I've seen that. Yeah, what's really cool about this movie, um, not only has a great cast, it's got Albert Finney, um, it's got Edward James almost, it's got Gregory Hines, it's got Tom Noonan. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's got a, a great group of people. But they take the, the werewolf myth and they add like a little bit of a Native American flavor to it. And they introduce the, 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 the Native American bridge uh, uh, walkers, which were people, Native Americans and, and and other people that would work on the bridges, the big high-rise bridges and stuff, you know, the, the, the wire suspension bridges. And supposedly they were better at it because they had a better um, thing for heights. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so it takes the, the, the Native American belief that man can take on the form of an animal um, through magic rituals or by, you know, being the descendant of a, of a shaman or something like that. And it kind of combined it to a little bit of the skinwalker mythos. Mm-hmm. And it it's a fun movie. I, I enjoy it. Um, it's the, 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 it's just one of my favorites. It's people don't, I, I, I've known a, a lot of people who have never heard of this movie. Yeah, it's it's been you know it has been decades since I've seen it, but uh, I do remember it, and I remember it you know being pretty spooky. Yeah, it's actually one of the first. This is the first movie to use a thermographic visual, uh, photographic look to represent the point of view character of the wolf and of oh. any of a creature like that. Yeah, you know, 
and they always use that nowadays, you know, to show the point of the view of a of a usually a villainous or demonic or a alien creature, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like Predator. Sure, sure. So Yeah, Maybe they're the didn't... ones they're the ones that actually pioneered that in the in their film. Yeah, and as I mentioned last week, my only complaint of Alien Covenant was that POV from the creature because it just seemed pointless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, I mean, they just did it once, and it's like, why are you doing this? This is doesn't make sense. I mean, it, it's like we know it's an alien. That's cool. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Uh, oh, real quick. Uh, you might be thinking of uh, Bela Lugosi in Island of Lost Souls. He was the speaker of law or something like that, and he looked very much like a werewolf, a wolf. Yes, yes. So, but uh, that's my one-off. But yeah, but no, A Wolf and, you know, great movie. Um, You know, again, I, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I remember loving it, absolutely loving it when it came out. No, I just mentioned it was Bella Gussie was in another movie with, with Lon Chaney as a Wolfman. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. You no, know, when, when he played Dracula in that movie with, with um, yeah, the Frankenstein, Dracula meets Frankenstein or whatever it was, or, or the other one. Abbott and Costello yeah. meet Frankenstein? That might be it. Yeah. So yeah, I know he. I know he played the werewolf. I know Cheney was the werewolf in, in a couple of those. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, my bad, I misunderstood. But yeah, please continue though. Well, Albert Finney plays the the, the detective in this that teams up with the with the, the, the um uh Diana Venora's character, who's uh either she's I don't remember if she's a reporter or she's another cop. But uh, so and they're trying to track this all down. What's funny is when this. Uh, script was originally floated. Mm-hmm. Dustin Hoffman wanted to play Albert Finney's role seriously, but really? he was refused the role because the guy uh, directing it, Michael Wadley, really wanted to work with Albert Finney, who was his favorite actor. It's the only time in his career that Hoffman was rejected for a part. Wow. <laughs> Wow, but uh, yeah, and uh, uh, oh, Edward James almost was in that too. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, wow, but Dustin Hoffman, I'm sure he he recovered from it. He got to do Meet the Fockers eventually. So, <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> it, and lots of other roles too. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, oh oh, what was that great movie he did uh, it, with uh, Warren Beatty in the '80s that everybody made fun of? Um, Ishtar? Ishtar, yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> he also did that great dental one, uh, the Marathon Man. Oh, <laughs> yuck. <laughs> no, seriously, there's only one movie you're going to watch that has a dentist in it that I don't flip out in, and that's uh, and that's uh, Little Shop of Horrors, and I still cringe <laughs> when I hear that dental drill going. <laughs> you can be a dentist. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Uh, no, that's hysterical. But, uh, another, but yeah, yeah, go ahead. Another fun fo- fact about this, uh, another fun bit of trivia about this movie is, uh, composer Craig Saffin wrote an original score for this film and was replaced at the last minute by future Academy Award winner James Horner, who only had 12 days to write and record his score. <laughs> that is, uh, that's a, that's an accomplishment right there. Yes, it's it's uh it 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 just you know can you imagine writing a score for a movie in twelve days? Uh, I guess that breaks down to about uh what you know working ten minutes of film a day. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. Uh, you know, ten minutes of music a day. Yeah, that's crazy. 
But you know, hey, you can you can. Uh, it, it's amazing what you can do under pressure. Right. So yeah, you go there. You go with Wolfman being. You know, uh, you go with, with the Wolfman being classic horror movie, chasing across the moors, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You and then you go to Wolfman in an inner city. You know, it's in the city. People are being, you know, killed and dragged off in the abandoned apartment buildings and broken, you know, broken down areas and stuff like that. Kind of showing the the, the damage done in the Rust Belt, you know, and, and yeah. or where, you know, where our inner cities are being so neglected that people can vanish and, you know, not really much is done about it. And then you go in 1981's The Howling. Here we go. The Howling. Somewhere in this city. In this human jungle. It begins. Just try. He's right there. What do you see? What's there, Karen? What do you see, Karen? What's there? Somewhere in these woods. In this primal, sensuous, secret place lies an experience too terrifying for words. And now, all anyone can do is watch and wait. Tonight I'm going to show you something. Make you believe. The Howling. Again. Do you have that werewolf movie with E.T.'s mom in it? No, that's no. I'm, I, I messed up that line. It was, no, it was um, uh, oh gosh, what was it? it? There was a reference to what Cujo and Scream, uh, inside the video store. Some girl comes up and says, uh, "Do you have that movie with E.T.'s mom in it with the scary dog or whatever?" Oh yes, so, yes. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, I had it backwards. Uh, but no, the the Howling. What a great movie! I mean that this movie was nightmare fuel for me as a kid. Yeah, because now you're going to a a news broadcaster who turns into a werewolf, and you go from the city back to the woods, and mm-hmm. back to the city, and it just it is it is it is a ro- it is a fun little roller coaster ride. I mean it ta- it doesn't take itself way too seriously. But then again, you've got D. Wallace in it. You got Patrick McNee. You've got uh, uh, John Carradine's in it, and he plays a creepy role in this. And you've got uh, Robert Picardo. So you know, and Kevin uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy too. So there you go. You've got uh, a great. really fun. What <laughs> I said? That's great. I mean, that is so many you know legendary actors in in this movie. Oh, I forgot incredible. Slim Pickens is in it too. <laughs> Oh my God! Well, what do you think about that? I can't do a Slim Pickens voice. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, but. neither neither can I. Um, I remember watching the whole Halloween uh, Halloween series, and I loved it because I think it's Halloween 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 three has uh, Christopher Lee, which always makes me smile. So. Oh yeah, 
But, and that's so um, cool that, you know, Christopher Lee, you know, would, would do something like that. You know, a lot of people to take a horror sequel that they weren't involved with in the first place, you know, would just kind of poo-poo that idea. But Christopher Lee was cool about it. You know, he he loved doing that stuff. And, you know, I, I mean, I don't think there's... Uh, it, when you want to look at a work ethic for an actor, Christopher Lee was pretty much unparalleled. Yeah, and he liked to work. He yeah. enjoyed doing off the wall stuff too, so yeah. which which I enjoyed. But you know, he was he was in a, he was in a rock band or something, wasn't he? Uh, he did sang, some. He, he was, yeah, he did some uh, metal stuff. He actually liked yeah. heavy metal and and uh, did a couple heavy metal albums where he kind of he kind of sort of talky sang, but it was pretty cool. Yeah, and um, in this movie, Rick Baker was originally doing the special effects. But he had to leave to go to do makeup for American Werewolf in London, same year. Um, so he left the uh, the effects to, um, in his in the hands of his assistant Rob Botton. And both both of these movies were released the same year, and both received received praises for their makeup work because you could see the influence of, mm -hmm. of of Rick in both. Considering you know uh, Rob was his was his assistant. Yeah. And um, but it's it's another cool one. It's about a whole colony of werewolves, which is neat. You know, there's a whole pack this time, a pack mm -hmm. of more of the traditional, you know, uh, anthropomorphic werewolves compared to the dog-like werewolves that were in Wolven. And yeah. um, in this movie, there's a line in this movie. Robert Picardo's in this movie, and I I do enjoy him. He's 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 a fun actor. And there's a line where he pulls a bullet from his head and just before that he says i want to give you a piece of my mind <laughs> and he improvised that line and it's one of the more well uh remembered lines of the movie in the movie very nice very nice well um i'll tell you what uh, let's uh let's save the other two uh for the next uh next segment and uh, why don't you set us up on, uh, unless you have more to, to add about this. Uh, about I have a little bit of trivia, and then I'll set yeah. you up on the trailer list. All right, awesome. Um, during the time, there were times during shooting where Robert Picardo was very despondent about the hours he had to spend in makeup. He's, on the special edition DVD, he remarks, One day, after spending six and a half hours in the makeup chair, I was thinking, trained at Yale, two leading roles on Broadway, my first acting role in California, my face gets melted in a low-budget horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> and, and all the crew had to say to him was, Bob, next time read the script all the way through first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, wow, but he, he did look great, though. Yes. <laughs> and um, uh, you got a little more trivia there? Yeah, I do. Um, um, on the scene where Terry calls Chris from Dr. Wagner's office, there's mm -hmm. a picture of Lon Chaney Jr. on the wall. Oh, very nice. Which is nice. And this is Dick Miller's, one of Dick Miller's favorite of his movies. And they said that the final transformations had to be done all in close-up because the movie had exceeded the budget by then. And it had to be shot in John Dante's office because they had no money for sets anymore. Wow. Okay. So that was just that was just funny. 
So, um, for our movie trailer break, now this is this is our standard the standard movie trailer break that I put together, right? Yes, the the uh, yeah. birthday trailers. Right, there are so many birthdays this month. I was looking for all the fun stuff I could, so I picked out three of my favorites. Even though I really love Carrie Fisher, um, I love a lot of the actors and actresses that had birthdays this month. I mean, this week. But I went with George Went. He was born on October 17, 1948 in Chicago. And he was in House in 1986. Great movie with him and William Cat. Oh, yeah. Um, then for my second one, I, 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 I took the, uh, uh, the wonderful, wonderful Jeff Goldblum. October 22, 1952 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He was in a little-known movie called The Fly in 1986. Be afraid. Be very afraid. God, that movie. Great line from that movie. Yes. And then I chose John Lithgow, October 19th, 1945, in Rochester, New York. He's in a little-known movie where he plays somebody that's not quite got it all together called Raising Cain from 1992 the funny fact about this movie is he was originally considered to play charles lee ray in the child play movies but oh. uh the and and if you don't think he could have carried it off watch this movie he's creepy as all get out <laughs> it's a great movie i remember seeing that when it first came out it's it's terrific um and then it was funny because i was putting the trailers together and i was like Oh, it's the house fly block because there's house and then the fly. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, um, here we go. Uh, Michelle's uh, curation of birthday trailer trailers. You'll have a... It'll be a howling success. This is a house where no one should live. Someone lived here before you was nuts. Wouldn't be surprised if someone just got fed up and off her. She was my aunt. Heart of gold, though. Roger Cobb has come here alone. Daddy? <laughs> but no one is ever alone in the house. This house knows everything about you. It has been waiting for him. Hi. Sandy. Now. It wants you. Horror has found a new home. your own risk. I think you're making a mistake. I think you really want to talk to me. Sorry, I have three other interviews to do before this party's over. Yeah, but they're not working on something that'll change the world as we know it. They say they are. Yeah, but they're lying. There is a limit, even to the imagination. Human teleportation, molecular decimation, breakdown, and reformation is inherently purging. Where our greatest creations meet our deepest fears. Something went wrong, Seth. When you went through, 
Something went wrong. You are about to go beyond that limit. Those weird hairs that were growing out of your back, I had them analyzed. But they were definitely not human. If you saw how scared and angry and desperate he I'm sure Typhoid Mary was a very nice person, too, when you saw her socially. No! You're afraid to be destroyed and recreated, aren't you? You're changing, Seth. Everything about you is changing. Oh, no. What's happening to me? Am I dying? I want to know what's going on. What does the disease want? It wants to turn me into something else. Oh, no. A fly got into the transmitter pod with me that first time when I was alone. Don't go back to it. It could be contagious. Uh, I'm afraid! Don't be afraid! No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Help me. Please help me. like she was put in the car when she was still alive and then drowned. Look, look at her nails. See how they're cut and torn? Looks like she was trying to claw her way out. You should see the expression on her face. You know, I hate to bring this up, but you are married to the perfect man. I don't know. Car popped up out of Half Moon Marsh. A woman's body in it. And he's becoming awfully compulsive with Amy. He doesn't just take care of her. He studies her. What do we got now? Two moms disappear from the same playground. You could get us all put away for good. I have this horrible feeling that it has something to do with his father. I did nothing. I don't even exist. This thing you're doing means everything to the old man. I won't hurt her. She'll hurt you. We gotta find these women now. I don't want to be walking behind any lousy coffins. I don't know where she is. I do. Uh, you should never have gotten out. Dr. Walheim! You're nothing but a cheap hoodlum. I am what you made me, Dad. I know what you're going to do. It's a bad thing. And I'm gonna tell. It was Bobsy! He did it again! It's my wife. You saw us in the park together, didn't you? I'm not gonna let that loving wife of yours sell you down the river. Give me my child! What do you think? I think... I was murdered, an unnatural death, and now I walk the earth in limbo until the werewolf's curse is lifted. Shut up! Yeah, I thought I'd play that yeah. one more time for you. Shut up! <laughs> I love that. Griffin Dunn, so great, uh, is the undead buddy in that. Uh, also great in the movie After Hours by Martin Scorsese. If nobody's seen that, check it out. Um... But yeah, so, uh, alright, let's get back into uh, some werewolf fun, but of course, welcome back, Joe, 
you know, could you imagine having to uh, feed a werewolf uh, versus, you know, a bunch of collies? Uh, about the same. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. A couple throw. Because if I don't feed them, they start eating. Throw a severed leg to them, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I do that every day. Yeah. Chicken leg. There Chicken. you go. And uh, um, and Miles, welcome back to you. Uh, fortunately, you don't, you guys don't have any were cats that that I know of. Mm, well, if we do, well, yeah, they're they're very good at keeping it a secret. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, although uh, maybe Loki turned into a human and then punched your stove. <gasps> no, I, <laughs> or took a sledgehammer to it. One of the two. Yeah, there no. you go. <laughs> uh, or just some pots and pans. But anyway, yeah. So, yeah, yeah no matter. Considering all the times I've been either scratched or play bitten by the cats, uh, I'm pretty sure they're they're not wearing anything. Or else I would be I would be turning furry once a month. Um, um, and I would definitely not be. Uh, 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 craving um, relations with uh... oh god I just blanked on his name <laughs> Jeff Goldblum no the guy from um, Cat People uh, Malcolm oh, McDowell Dave... oh okay Malcolm there McDowell you there you go <laughs> all right so uh, but anyway all right so back back to the werewolf talk you got a couple other uh, movies here and if we have time I got a couple other uh, fun trailers to run for everybody but uh, uh, w- let's lead with your, the remainder of your uh, picks. Yes, we have another birthday um, in, um, in, the, in this one. Um, the, the wonderful, lovely Angela Lansbury. She's still That's a right. stunning woman. And she's still got stuff in production today. Um, yeah. And she's in her 90s. Yeah, she's uh, 95, I think. Uh, she was born October 16th, 1925 in Regent's Park, London, England. And she... She was in one of my more favorite werewolf movies. Now, this one kind of takes a different viewpoint than the others. This one is more, it has a lot of sexual allegory in it. A lot Mm -hmm. of innuendo, a lot of portraying the werewolves as ripening or the bestiality between a man and a woman as, as a young girl, you know, becomes a woman. And so it takes a little red riding story where Angela Lansbury takes the grandmother and makes it more about something really, really creepy. And this is I, called The Company. What? I, I got to say, I just saw this movie recently and I had no idea what it was about. And when I saw it, I was in love. Yes, it's a great movie. It's called The Company of Wolves, 1985. A young girl feels her soul awakened to the call of emotions she cannot name. This is the twilight world where half-forgotten memories of childhood lead into a fantastic realm. Was it a wolf or a man you killed? When I killed it, it was a wolf. It turned into a man. Here, dreams become reality and our darkest fantasies come true. Worst kind of wolves are hairy on the inside, and when they bite you, they drag you with them to hell. They say the Prince of Darkness is a gentleman. 
gentlemen always keep their promises. What have you done with my granddaughter? Nothing. She didn't want. <laughs> the Company of Wolves, where fairy tales end and nightmares begin. The Company of Wolves. So good. Yeah, you have Angela Lansbury. Uh, you have Sarah Patterson playing lead. You have David Warner, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, the amazing David Warner in this. And a whole boatload of, of other other names. And um, it, is, it, is, it is a very well-written. It's got the creep factor. It's got a little bit of... It's got the gore in it. It's got great special effects. And it's also got... That underlying thing, is this a real, is it a dream? Is it a, you know, is it her fantasies coming true? You know, in a way, because it, it is both a horror movie and a coming of age movie, if you think about it. Yeah, and I, I yeah, can't she, stop watching that gif. <laughs> oh, yeah, with the, head, the wolf coming out of the guy's face, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's one of my, it's, the colors are beautiful, too. Yeah, and and the and, and the atmospheric sets. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's stunning. She's running, yeah, I, when she's running through through the woods with the, all the fog and the wolves running up on either side of her and the dead trees, it 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 is just it is just beautiful. Now it's one wow. of those movies that I'd always heard the name of, and I think the title of it is kind of deceptive because. It, it, it because it it leans so much into like an old school fairy tale, uh, you know, set in you know what maybe the seventeen hundreds or something like that. Um, and uh, you know, it, it it struck me as being you know the name of it sounds it just sounds like it would be more of a modern setting for some reason. I don't know. Maybe it's because company. I don't know. <laughs> Um, although, you know, I know the word has several different meanings, but, um, you know, it, it, uh, you know, I'd always heard about it and then I saw it, it came on, I think last year around this time on, you know, TCM or something like that. And I was just transfixed. Yeah. The, um, I've, I've, I remember seeing it on HBO originally. And mm-hmm. I remember just falling in love with it immediately. And you know, other friends of mine that like horror movies and stuff—they weren't as they didn't—they didn't enjoy it as much. But it's it's a different type of horror movie. So, mm-hmm. and it's a different take on werewolves, which I love. I love all these different modern, you know, uh, interpretations. Each director seems to have a different interpretation, a different way they want it represented. Um, and. Uh, this one was just so beautiful and so, and it did. It had that fairy tale quality to it, but it had its dark fairy tale side. Oh yeah, why I really liked it. And so. you know, a lot of those Grimm's uh, Grimm's Brothers fairy tales—they were not. I mean, you know, they weren't like Disney. Uh uh-uh. uh <laughs> Yeah, the most most were like that because they were they were morality tales. Those were tales of what 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 happened. You know, if you didn't treat people right, or and they were written or passed down through families and through communities, you know, by word of mouth first, and then they were written down and they were not meant to be happy go lucky stories. They were meant to scare you into, you know, uh, into acting right. So a lot, like a lot of the morality tales that are out there. Oh yeah. Um, 
like the thing about the thing about this movie that that Joe would probably be interested in if he didn't know this already. Due to budgetary constraints and fears about safety, most of the wolves in the movie were actually Belgian shepherd dogs whose fur had been dyed. I do not like the I, I do not like the practice of dyeing fur on animals. That's that to me is wrong. But you know, they didn't have special effects to change their colors back then. So Hopefully um, it was that in a dive. in a movie that um that uh, Bob worked on. Uh the last uh, John Wayne movie he did. They died that they oh they died they, they died they the died his dog black. Yeah. Was that dog? Mm-hmm. Dog and Big Jake? Yes. Dog and Big Jake. Yep. I love that movie. That was his collie. <laughs> died <Okay>. black. <laughs> yeah. But it was a, it was a, it was an animal safe die. Because sometimes they do bad things and uh I'd have uh, to ask them what they used. I will. Because and that I'll poor back to you. Yeah, like that poor tiger and beastmaster that they killed that caught cancer mm. from the compound from the they used to, yeah. to color it. Yeah, that oh, made Jesus. me so sad. Um but there was actually a real wolf when Rosaline was interacting with, with the wolf at the end of the movie. Um there there was only two wolves that were actually used in that entire production just because they were so worried about safety. Yeah. Yes, it's, um, and and I said that 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 writer and director Neil Jordan didn't hold auditions for the part of Granny. He said once the project was up and running, he offered it directly to Dame Angela Lansbury, and she took it. So he knew who he wanted for that role. That's great. Um, um you know, uh, speaking of casting uh, things, just uh, just a quick one-off. I, I saw Rob Zombie is doing a Monsters remake. Um. And his wife landed the part of Lily Munster. I wonder how she got that part. Oh, I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. She, isn't she, doesn't she doesn't she get a part in almost every one of his movies? Uh, I think every one. Yeah. Because I see her in the credits in a lot of them. Because I do watch I do watch Rob Zombie movies because he's he's done some fun ones like the yeah. what was it the uh, the Masters of Salem I think it was called. Yeah, that but his Halloween movies were terrible. Yeah, they weren't they weren't that great, but I do enjoy watching his stuff. Yeah, but anyway, sorry to interrupt there. I just would you know you mentioned casting, and I thought that the other day. I wonder how she got that role. How would she luck into that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, who who knows? Maybe she was sleeping with the director. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, all right. Um, yeah, but um, one thing about this movie too, Stanley Kubrick was so impressed by the production design on this movie that he hired Anton first to do the production design for his next project, Full Metal Jacket. Oh, wow. So when that's, you get um, Kubrick's that's... attention, you know you're doing something right. Right, yes, definitely. Um, they originally, uh, the writer uh, um, originally wanted Andy Warhol to play the role of the devil. Um, the, the producer <laughs> went to New York to meet Warhol, who had recently been shot. And Warhol agreed to do the movie. However, fearing for his life if he traveled, he would only play the role if his scenes were shot in New York City. Since that was impossible, Jordan cast his friend Terrence Stamp in the role. Stamp agreed to do the role if Jordan brought him bought him a suit, which he did, much to Stamp's amusement. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And Terrence Stamp is just terrific. Yeah, he, he 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 does a really 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 nice part in in in, in this movie. Um, the whole, I, as I said, I cannot gush, you know, enough about this movie. It's just so beautiful and and just oh, it. 
It, and it's, it's one of those like, movies that kind of has a little bit of something for everybody, too, really. Yes. You know, um, and, and, you know, like that there's a lot of films like that. I, I I think I said that, I guess, about like the Sam Raimi's Oz movie, um, Oz the Great and Powerful, you know, kind of kind of like in that vein. It's like you don't have to love the source material. You don't have to love Little Red Riding Hood. You know, you don't have to love The Wizard of Oz or whatever, but, you know, it, it, it's it's one of those movies where there's real, literally something for everybody. Yes, yes, there is. And, it, 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 and yeah, just, just cinematically. I mean, even if you don't like the, even if you don't like the story, the, 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 just the scenery is, is just absolutely stunning. Um, and as I said, you know, as I, as I talked about it, it's more of a, a coming of age, a coming of sexuality type movie. And the next movie I have picked it's also has that flavor, but this is a modern setting. It's about two sisters who are fairly morbid and what happens one night. And it's called Ginger Snaps, and it has a whole franchise out there. I would suggest watching this one. It is a lot of fun. For two sisters. Together forever. United against life as we know it. With an appetite for the macabre. I'm slitting my throat. You should definitely hang. All it takes is one night. And one bite. Let's get out of here. Dog, maybe. Did I change last night? How with the moon? Ginger's changing. How do you feel? Wicked. They're just being normal teenage girls. She's gone. Ginger snaps and bites. And we're almost not even related anymore. I couldn't understand the lyrics for that song that was in the movie. Something like, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> uh, I really wasn't paying much attention to the music. <laughs> Uh, sorry, when it's a bad song, it sticks out. But I think Susan's watched this uh, movie before. Uh, I need to check it out. Yeah, it's cool. Um, one of the, the recognizable names you might um, uh, be familiar with is Mimi Rogers. She oh, yeah. plays the mother in this. And she's kind of like the, the hip mom that, you know, is, is not worried about her girls. You know, he wants, wants, she just wants them to be girls, grow up. And she's the mother that's really overly like, oh, you're turning into a woman now. So now you get to, you know, it's just mm -hmm. like, and the girls are just like, Ugh. but um, yeah, so it's, it's about two girls that are in high school. Um, they're sisters. They're very macabre. They like taking pictures of themselves as if they've committed suicide or been the victims of a grisly death. Yeah. And, you know, and, um, they're out late one evening and out in the playground, they're about to set up for another shot and they're attacked by something and Ginger gets mauled and then the fun starts. 
Um, what's funny about the the two leading characters in this, uh, the two actresses, Emily Perkins and Catherine uh, uh, Isabel, um, they auditioned on the same day for the role. They were also born in the same hospital. They attended the same preschool, elementary school, and private school, worked through the same television agency, and both guest starred on the show Supernatural. Wow, okay. So, yeah, I, I would bet anything Susan's seen it then. So, yeah. Knowing and, that. And, yeah, this is an acclaimed, this is an, uh, around the horror, in, in, in the horror community, this is acclaimed as a really breakout werewolf movie. Nice. Be, be, you know, because it deals with that angst and, you know, they're, they're you know, since they're in, in that, they have such a weird hobby, you know, they're weird girls. And, you know, they're treated like that by some of the people, you know, a lot of the kids in school, the more popular mm -hmm. kids and such. And yeah. so when she starts exhibiting her werewolf powers, <laughs> things kind of, uh, things kind of take over from there and some of the bullies get what's coming to them. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, director refused to have CGI effects in the film. He opted for all of his special effects to be done with prosthetics and makeup. So he awesome. was old school. Yeah, it's so nice to see uh, see that happen more and more in in modern movies. That uh, um, what was that? Uh, P.G. Gorman was that the name of that movie? Um, Psycho Gorman. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Psycho Gorman. Yeah. Uh, well, they called him PG. That's right. That's why. Right. Um, but yeah, the Psycho Gorman that mo that was mostly uh, uh, practical effects, at least for the monster makeup and stuff. You know, I'm sure they did a lot for the the space stuff and whatever. But no, it, you know, uh, just just uh, I love that a lot of modern filmmakers are leaning more into the practical effects. Well, sometimes you can get a better effect with practical effects. Um, oh, and it, it depends on your budget, your CGI budget, because it could be more expensive to do it CGI and it may not come out looking mm -hmm. so hot. Yeah. So. And if you look back at what people were doing, I mean, there are some really inexpensive ways to do practical effects that, uh, you know, are as old as, you know, when, um, you know, like the movie Nosferatu or going back to the, the movies that um, um, Lon Chaney Sr. would do. You know, Correct. lots yeah. of easy, cheap stuff that you can make people look creepy with. Yeah, so um, it was it's really enjoyable to 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 see that that that's not that that's not being lost. I mean, her makeup would take three hours to apply and then 45 minutes to remove after shooting. But mm -hmm. compared to some people's time in the chairs, that's nothing. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Another, another funny thing about this movie is most of the day scenes had to be scheduled to be shot at night. Okay. So the crew would bring in an eight, a large 18 kilowatt light to flood the locations with light. So it would appear to be day on film. Reportedly, the light was strong enough to be seen by aircraft passing overhead. <laughs> well, no wonder uh, they, they probably didn't do CGI because the electric bill was so high. <laughs> yeah, that, yes, definitely. Uh, um, that's great. This, yeah, this film was actually bigger over bigger in UK and Australia than here. Um, it got, it didn't, it really didn't get noticed over here until HBO began airing it. And, uh, and then people got wind of it and it, it just, it just flew in popularity from there. Um, 
And due to the fact that this film features teenagers and teenagers in violent situations, they had trouble getting funding because the Columbine massacre and other school shootings had recently occurred. Oh, okay. So, but yeah, so this is one of one of my favorite movies. There are three of them, I think, or there may be four. Um, two of the one, of, the second one is about um, uh, the, uh, the, the, the younger sister as she's getting older and having her own issues with what happened. The third one's like a prequel going mm-hmm. back into like the, the, the days of the French trappers and the, the, the you know, the, 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 the colony expansion and stuff, which is yeah. really, really entertaining. So fair enough. And the same actresses are throughout the entire three movies. Very cool. Um, and you have to love it when, you know, uh, when a franchise is good enough that people will return uh, to the roles in, in, you know, instead of being recast or killed off or whatever. Um, or getting a fake shemp. We'll talk about fake shemps later. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Sam Raimi, for that term. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, you know, when, when a franchise is good enough to keep, draw, you know, bringing back the same actors that that alone says something of the quality of the storytelling really. Yeah. Um, oh, one other thing I didn't, I want to say before, before I forgot about it, the opening shots were the girl of the girls fake suicides. They had to be shot on location in an actual home. And somebody would have to distract the homeowner's four year old child. Whenever the actresses who would be covered in fake gore would come inside to change. Oh boy. <laughs> Poor kids. <laughs> yeah, it 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 it's just yeah. It opens up really really darkly with them and their and and, and their little hobby. And uh, believe me, those those girls are good at at, at the photography. I mean, those scenes look real. <laughs> nice, nice. So, um, uh, but yeah, no, no great picks all around. Anything else you, you want to add to that one? No, I think that's the last one of mine. All right, so um, I have some extra stuff. I'm just going to play one, though, um, for... Um, let me see. I'm loading something else up for our break. But uh, the um, uh, a movie we all watched recently on Sven Gulli, probably a couple months ago now, uh, another werewolf movie from 1974 starring one of uh, Michelle's favorite people in the whole universe, uh, Peter Cushing. Um, oh, yeah. Really fun movie. Pretty short trailer. Uh, just going to play that for everybody. The Beast Must Die from 1974, where they actually have a, uh, uh, what, what do they call that when the movie takes a break? The the werewolf countdown or the werewolf timer or <laughs> uh, something like that? Uh, what is it? The werewolf intermission or something? Where you yeah, have werewolf to, uh, intermission. Yeah, where you have to give your guests as who the werewolf yeah. is. Yeah. Pretty pretty fun little gimmick, but yeah, here you go. It's a, it's under a minute long. The Beast Must Die, 1974. When the moon is full, the beast must die. One of you is a werewolf. You must track down the werewolf. One of these eight people is a werewolf. Can you guess which one? Which one? 
say werewolf break i just picture like a werewolf like you know kicking back in a break room with a cup of coffee you know yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> chewing on some wolf bane sure yeah well uh reading a reading a, a copy of the howl street journal oh <laughs> uh, so um, yeah that just top of my head <laughs> stupid <laughs> but uh anyway there we go well uh thank you very much uh, there's there's five werewolf movie recommendations uh for everybody uh so uh, again just a quick recap um wolfen the howling company of werewolves and ginger snaps and of course a little extra something the beast must die for everyone and thank you for that michelle that was uh very entertaining you're most welcome i it's it's one of my, my I, I love classic monsters and I love new interpretations on them. So, oh, yeah. So, and, um, yeah, so we are going to go to the break right now. Uh, when we come back, uh, Joe's going to talk about uh, somebody who might be a werewolf, Norm MacDonald, right? He might be. Yeah, we, he might we be can't a lot say of for sure. What the could be is, an, is funny. Could be an amorphous blob. Yafit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hang tight. We'll be right back right after this. souls hunt the living, the living whose bodies are the only food for these ungodly creatures. Night of the living dead. adventure in fear. An experience in shock more shattering than your strangest nightmare. Night of the living dead. A night with the dead who cannot die. A night of total terror. Night. 
the living dead. Now, living flesh and blood terror. Blood spilling, bone chilling, towering terrors in one twin thrill show. The Crawling Thing. As clutching terror reaches toward you, the scream you hear will be your own. It's too awesome to describe, too terrifying to escape, too powerful to stop. The Crawling Thing. Plus, from another world, the creature of evil. Half man, half monster, but all horror. Feel your throat grow tight with terror. Watch. Listen. Shudder. Die. The creature of evil. Can you stand to see the most gruesome twosome ever made? The Crawling Thing and the Creature of Evil. Produced in Hollywood by Maniacs. <laughs> Taking hold of the teenage crowd. Following their practical jokes with hysterical humor that'll make you fall flat on your face. With horror. Now, remember how wonderful it was when you sprang suddenly dug in with your fangs, a soft throat, a gush of warm blood? No! No! Nothing you've ever seen has such blood-chilling savagery. Nothing you've ever conceived packs such a spine-tingling jolt. This high school boy, a teenage werewolf. A constant threat of claw-ripping attack to everyone, to the brave and the beautiful. Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish undertaking. Something evil. Hey, do you ever feel like coming by my quarters and just getting weird and sloppy some night? Oh my god, I would be so into that. Not recommended for impressionable children. No, not that. <laughs> there you go, Joe. Here's uh, your Norm McDonald from uh, the Orville for you. <laughs> yes. Yes, Yafit, the amorphous blob, who had an overactive libido. Yeah. <laughs> and then some. <laughs> and then some. <laughs> uh, he right, so, well, so wanted to date the doctor, didn't he? he re- I saw some of the clips. That's where I got that from. So yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, but yes. anyway, Michelle, thank you very much for uh, all the werewolf uh, recommendations and history on the lore. Appreciate that very much. Yeah, and just just another very happy birthday to uh, happy belated. I mean, happy birthday, even though she's no longer with us, to Carrie Fisher as well. So. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Miles, looking forward to uh, a, a war of another era, World War One. Uh, uh, hearing a story about that tonight. Oh yeah, yep, yep. But uh, yeah, so Joe, uh, we, we should better get to it. We got some long jokes from uh, long-winded Norm Macdonald here. We do, and 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 just because for anybody that doesn't. That knows doesn't know Norm Macdonald. His setups are, shall we say, lengthy, and yes. tend to go into spirally 
different areas before he gets to the punchline. But believe me, it's all worth it. But the payoff uh, will born, make you huh? how the payoff will make you how. There you go. It will. So, there you it go. It will. Go um. So Norm was born October seventeenth, uh, nineteen fifty-nine, and he died just this past September of uh, leukemia, which he had for ten years and never revealed to anyone except his closest friends. Yeah, that's why it was such a shock. I did not know that. Right. Yes. Yes. Oh my he gosh! Didn't want anybody to perceive him. Uh, differently when he did his comedy routines up until his death. And he, he didn't want people looking at him, you know, uh, pitifully and everything. So he just kept it a secret. Wow. All this time. But he was uh, noted for his deadpan delivery. And believe me, deadpan describes Norm MacDonald. Yeah. Uh, but he appeared in films. He was a writer for... Uh, Roseanne, the Dennis Miller show. Uh, he was the voice of Yafit, as we said, on the Orville. Uh, and I guess most notably on Saturday Night Live, um, he did weekend update impressions of Larry King, Burt Reynolds, David Letterman, Quentin Tarantino, Charles Corralt, of all people, and Bob Dole. <laughs> and Turd Ferguson. And Turd Ferguson. <laughs> I love his Bob Dole impersonation, though. That was yes, and Bob well Dole did too. Bob Dole did too. I think Bob Dole said some, um, uh, tweeted or or made a comment after his death. So, um, yeah, it, he he had, he had great delivery. Like I said, long setups, and so I'm not going to say much except before the last clip, because we're going to talk about why he got fired from SNL, and then we're going to play a clip about that. But um, let's just run the clips, and I'll just make a brief comment in between. Just start with one, and we'll go. All right, here's a joke about a moth. Now, not all your material comes uh, from, the, from the news. Is that right? You know, no, you, some you, of my material comes, my strongest material comes from real life. Real life? Like, for instance, today I was driving in a, a car. Mm -hmm. You were kind enough to bring a car to bring this old chunk of coal here to the studio. <laughs> we send we send cars for our guests, yes. Yeah, so I got in it, and that's, I, you know, I get material that way. So my driver, What do you mean? What, what, how do you get material that way? You get in the car, and what happens? Uh, my driver tells me a joke. <laughs> <laughs> the driver we sent to pick you up told you a joke. Yeah. And you're going to tell it now on the show. Yeah, that's how I get a lot of my material. <laughs> Okay, why don't we just have him on next time? Oh, uh, that guy. You, yeah, that guy. No, oh, wait till you hear me do it. <laughs> so the guy, he goes, uh, uh -huh. he, I say, uh, I'll be the guy. Okay. Uh, a moth, <laughs> a moth goes into a podiatrist's office. A moth goes into a podiatrist's office, right. You are correct. <laughs> a moth goes into a podiatrist's office mm -hmm. and... Uh, the podiatrist's office says, what's the problem? And the moth says, what's the problem? Where do I begin, man? He goes, I go to work for uh, Gregory Olinovich, and uh, all day long I work. <laughs> Honestly, Doc, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. I don't even know if Gregory Olinovich knows. He only knows that he has power over me, and that seems to bring him happiness. But I don't know. I wake up in a malaise and I, I walk here and there. And the podiatrist says, oh, yeah? 
And the moth goes, yes. And he goes, uh, at night I, I sometimes wake up and I turn to some old lady in my bed that's on my arm. A lady that I once loved, Doc. I don't know where to turn to. My youngest, Alexandria. <laughs> she fell in the, in, the, in the cold of last year. The cold took her down as it did many of us. <laughs> and my other boy. <laughs> and this is the hardest pill to swallow, Doc. My other boy, Gregario. <laughs> Ivina Lidovich. I no longer love him. As much as it pains me to say, when I look in his eyes, all I see is the same cowardice that I, that I catch when I take a glimpse of my own face in the mirror. If only the cowardice was stronger, then perhaps... Perhaps I could bring myself to reach over to that cocked and loaded gun that lays on the bedside behind me. And in this hellish facade once How long a all, drive was this? Do you live in the valley? Where do you live? Please, sorry. He says, Doc. Sometimes I feel like a spider, even though I'm a moth just barely hanging on to my web with an everlasting fire underneath me. I'm not feeling good. And so the, moth, the, the doctor says, Moth, man, you're troubled. But you should be seeing a psychiatrist. Why on earth did you come here? And then the moth said, because the light was on. <laughs> classic. Classic. That was classic. great. Classic, classic, classic. That's why he was renowned also as uh, host, uh, you know, the talk show host loved to have Norm MacDonald. He was what they call the ultimate guest. The ultimate oh, guest. Yeah. Never failed to fill out. You know, sometimes you see these guys, they just sit there and they go, yep. Yep. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> Norm never disappointed. In the next clip, clip two, uh, we hear about his new neighbor, who uh, is a professor at the University of Science. Yes, the University of Science that yes. down the road there. This <laughs> city's great because uh, of the neighborly people, you know. <laughs> but I did meet one neighbor, interesting story, you know, uh -huh. that uh, this guy just moved in, you know, next yeah. door to me. Mm -hmm. So I'm always one to, to meet the neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> you You like to chat with the neighbors. Yeah, yeah because, you know... So uh, I, uh, I went over to the guy, I knocked on the door next door to where I live, mm -hmm. and I say to the guy, I said, hey, I'm your new neighbor, you know, and I said, uh, good to see you, you know, nice to, nice to run into you, you know, uh, welcome to the, the neighborhood, you know. Mm -hmm. And so the guy, I said, what do you do for a living there, sir, mm -hmm. you know, if you don't mind me asking? <laughs> you know, what do you do for a living? I'm a, I'm a uh, nightclub comic, I tell the guy. So he says to me, he says, I'm a, I work down at the University of uh, Science there. He says, I'm a... Uh, I'm a, um, that's, a good, that's a good school, by the way. <laughs> I can't remember the exact place. Sure. But, uh, he says, I, uh, I'm a professor of logic. Oh. So he says, the guy says, logic. Now, what the hell is that? I never heard tell of that. Mm -hmm. He says, oh, well, he says it's a, a kind of a pattern of uh, a syllogistic 
Uh, well, he says it's hard to explain. He says, uh, uh, why don't I give you an example? <laughs> so I said, fair enough. Why don't you do that? So the guy says, well, he says, let me ask you a question. He says, do you own a dog house? So I go, yes, I do. He says, well, then that means you probably have a dog. I said, yes. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, well, that means you're likely you have a family if you have a dog. I said, yes, I do. He said, uh, well, then that means uh, you got uh, kids, you're married. I said, yes, yes, I am. He says, uh, well, then you're a heterosexual man. Mm-hmm. I said, yes, sir, I am. He says, well, you see, that's logic there. I, I asked if simply from finding out you had a doghouse, I made this series of inferences, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. I, I found that you're a heterosexual man simply from the fact that you had a doghouse. Mm-hmm. Well, I said, good God, isn't that something? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so I said, well, I won't waste any more of your time there, uh, neighbor. And I said, I'll see you. See you later. See you around. Okay. So, uh, I, went, I said, come on, come by one day and have a, a chicken with me. So anyways, I left. <laughs> so I left. So I go, I go to get a bus, you know, to the bus stop. Uh-huh. And I, I, I walk down to the bus stop, and I'm still thinking about this thing that happened to me, you know. <laughs> and I'm standing at the bus, and uh, 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 no bus coming at all, you know. Yeah. And five or six of us standing around, and uh, <clears throat> one guy lights up a cigarette there, and he goes... He goes, as soon as you light up a cigarette, the bus comes. And uh, he smokes the whole damn cigarette, no bus comes. (laughs) So uh, I said to the guy, well, that theory really worked, huh? (laughs) And the guy goes, well, sometimes it works. Anyways, the guy goes, "Uh, what's new with you? Mm -hmm. I go, well, I uh, had an interesting thing happen to me today. I said, I met my neighbor. Mm -hmm. And he goes, oh, yeah? I go, he had a hell of an interesting job. I said, he's a professor of logic down at the University of Science. (laughs) And uh, so the guy says, is that so? He says, uh, professor of logic. He goes, what the hell is that logic? Mm -hmm. I said, well, it's a series of Scylla something or other. Right, right. I said, I can't remember exactly, but I said, "Uh, I'll give you an example if you want to hear an example. So the guy goes, all right, fair enough. So I said, uh, let me ask you this. I said, uh, 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 do you, let me ask you a question. Do you own a doghouse? Mm-hmm. And the guy goes, uh, no, I don't own a doghouse. <laughs> so uh, I says, the guy says, oh, yeah, you're one of them gays. Oh. <laughs> oh, <God>. Ouch. Uh, <laughs> so there is logic. <laughs> yeah, but, according to Norm. According to Norm. <laughs> But um, he was born and, and raised uh, uh, in Canada, mm-hmm. uh, a very small town of 108 people. He'll explain that in the next clip. And after he became, you know, well known, he he went back to his hometown and eh, started to, you know, catch up with most of his farmer friends. And uh, he ran into his neighbor who had an interesting pig. That would be clip three. And you often speak of your native Canada. Yeah, I love Canada. You mention it a lot. Yeah, people love people, a couple of people. <laughs> three to be exact. Yeah, they like it. That's important. Uh, where are you from? Are you from a big city? Uh, where are you no, from? I'm from a little town. It's called Monkland, and uh, it's only 108 people. 108? That's, in, that's, yeah, that's small. Yeah, it's country, you know? It's really mm-hmm. rural. Mm-hmm. And uh, But man, I'll tell you, there's lots of funny stories from there. <laughs> Well, I'm sorry we don't have time. Thank you very much for coming, Norm. It was good having you here. It was Norm McDonald. Good night, everybody.
Because farm really, people, you there know. Are funny stories from this town. Yeah, because farm people, they all seem to be, you know, they all seem to be a funny story. I remember one time. <laughs> there better be, Norm. <laughs> <laughs> there was a guy, man, he lived down the road. Uh -huh. His name was, uh, name was John Neil Mergerison. And this guy, I went to, to him once. I've been away for a couple of years, you know. I moved to the city, you know, and I, I came back. And I said, John Neal, how you doing? You know, I went to his, his what do you got, farm? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that and, thing, uh, yeah. So he yeah. showed me his pigs. He had a bunch of pigs there, you know. He had a bunch of pigs, a, a bunch of them. And one of the pigs, <laughs> had, one of the pigs had a wooden leg, you know. What? Oh, yeah, a wooden leg. So I thought that was odd, you know? So I says to him, I says, John Neal, that's odd. There, what's that pig? What's the story with that pig? So John Neal, he goes, oh man, Norm. He says, that's a special pig. He goes, you wouldn't believe that pig. I go, yeah, well, well, tell me about it. He goes, that pig, you wouldn't believe it. He says, last, last winter, you know? He goes, um, the house burned down. You know, you probably heard, the house burned down. And uh, he says, me and a wife, we were sleeping on our bed. And he says, we never would have heard. We never would have heard. We never would have woken up. But he goes, that pig, he broke out of his pen. He ran all the way to the house. And he went up to the bedroom window, you know? And he says, he starts hitting his little snout on a, on a, on a window, you know? Uh -huh. And he says, me and a wife, we woke up. And we got out, man, just in time. We escaped that inferno. He didn't use the word inferno. He's just a farmer. <laughs> <laughs> you threw that in there. Yeah, he says, Good. we escaped that conflagration, you know? <laughs> so so I, I go, man, that's, quite a, that's a, quite a story about the pig. He goes, oh, man, it doesn't stop there. I go, really? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, he goes, just later after that, like the following summer, we were, me and a wife were plowing a North 40, and, and, and our little boy, only two years old, man, fell into the well, and uh, all alone, you know? And, and we did, we, no way we could do anything. We were plowing. And uh, <laughs> he says, we didn't hear, you know? And he says, uh, uh, man, and, and, you know, and, uh, you know, we're getting older. We're probably not going to have another kid. You know, that kid means everything to us. I go, I know, John Neal, I know that. <laughs> you don't have to tell me that. Uh -huh. So he sa I said, what happens? He goes, that's their very same pig. He says, he heard the child's wailing plaintiff cry. He didn't say plaintiff, you know, he's a farmer. <laughs> He says, he heard, he heard a child, he broke out of his pen, he ran all the way to the well. He looked down, there was the poor son of ours there, uh, Billy, you know, down at the bottom of the well. He says, the pig, he took his snout there, he started pulling up on a, on a rope, and he got, the kid got right out, you know? And he, and if it, man, that's great, isn't it? And I go, I go, man, that's the greatest story I ever heard. Man, oh, what a pig. I said, what a pig that is. I said, one question, oh, John Neal. I said, he got a wooden leg, I don't understand that part. He got, Pig, pig got a wooden leg over there. John Neal goes, man, he goes, what are you crazy? He says, he says, a great pig like that, you can't eat them all at once. You know, he says, oh. oh, that's dark. <laughs> you get, wow. You there? That, is, that is hilarious, yeah. though. Yeah, I remember that one, too. <laughs> Good stuff. Joe, are you there? Yes, I am. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I was muted. Yes, uh, so that was quite a pig. That was quite a pig. And uh, don't eat your pigs all at once. Uh, save the ribs for last. But anyway. Um, don't put put all your eggs in one basket either. Well, that brings us to another subject, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> the hatchery. Because the hatchery, which was the source of uh, a lot of employment in one town where he, he once was. And... Uh, the teacher there um, wanted to have the kids 
tell some stories with morals to them. And uh, so uh, Norm tells the story about this teacher and uh, one day what happened there, clip four. There was a fella, a little boy in school named Dirty Johnny. Now, he's not dirty in this joke, but uh, he'd always said the uh, hellion in class and the teacher didn't think much of him. So the teacher has a project, or not a project, but an in-class thing. And they go again. <coughs> says, oh, I said, she says, now, this is what you're going to do here, class. I want you to stand up. <laughs> I want you to stand up and uh, tell the class what uh, a story from your life. And then afterwards, say the moral to that story. So a girl puts up her hand, yes, Becky, what's your story? So Becky stands up, she goes, my dad works for the hatchery here in town. And uh, what happens was he got about 15 eggs and he put them all in one basket, all the same basket. So he put all his eggs in one basket and he put it on the horse and buggy and drove back home. And by God, uh, the, Becky says the bouncing and all the eggs broke. Well, that's a good story, the teacher says, but what would the moral be to that? Becky says, well, the moral is don't put all your eggs in one basket. But God damn, says the teacher, that's a good one. <laughs> Anybody else? Marjorie puts up her hand. Marjorie, what's your story? She says, well, my dad works for the hatchery, as most, all of us. Thank God for the hatchery. <laughs> she says that we'd all be lost. We'd all be lost. But anyways, my dad knows that eggs become chickens. And so uh, he was uh, counting his chickens, and he added in the eggs, you see. And then he put them on a horse and buggy to go to town, and they all bro broke. Well, what's the lesson to that? The teacher says she can't understand. And uh, she says, well, don't count your chickens before they hatch out of an egg. Mm -hmm. So the teacher says, that's a great one, too. Anybody else? Well, wouldn't you know Dirty Johnny has his hand up? So the teacher's like, holy God, I, I don't want it. But on the other hand, I made an oath to every child should I suppose I got a all right dirty Johnny what do you have to say Johnny stands up stories about my uncle Terry he never worked at the hatchery on account he was in Vietnam and he got disability he don't even like people work at the hatchery <laughs> But the story happened far from these shores, in a little town called Danae. Terry was not well-liked. His whole troop left him, abandoned. And he woke up in the weeds, and all they left him with was three bottles of Jack Daniels, some weapons. Terry stood up and downed one bottle right away said, if I'm going out, I'm going out. He took his <coughs> Balishnikov and a couple of Glocks and a, his two bottles, and away he went. He found a town. And uh, he didn't know if it was Charlie or, 
or if it was one he was sent to protect. But all he knew was he had hate in his gut. <laughs> so he uh, started firing. And he fired the Kalishnikov with an arcing kind of, like a farmer would with hay, with a scythe. And sure enough, the men fell like hay before him. And then the women, and by God, I'm ashamed to say it, but then the children. And finally, all was left was Uncle Terry standing in the mud and the blood and the glory. And uh, he touched his pants and he, there was a, it was wet and he said he was ashamed. He felt shame, Uncle Terry, for he'd uh, pissed himself. Well, he touched it again. It was not urine at all, but ejaculate. Oh. And Uncle Terry felt pride where shame once was. And the teacher's like, good Christ, what kind of a story is that? What the hell is the moral to that? Well, he says, uh, when uh, Uncle Terry's been drinking, you don't fuck with him. <laughs> took a turn <laughs> that one gets me every time <laughs> yeah that, that's but that was a turn you, you didn't expect that was a, a, a left on a no turn left lane <laughs> that yeah. was a left wow. a u turn then over the side of the bridge there you go yeah. <laughs> pull that guy over he doesn't have a turn signal <laughs> well, I heard that that was from 2020 he told that joke on a podcast last year and and i i found it and just i thought it was the funniest damn thing Dark, dark as as the pig. Oh, yeah. um, but uh, anyway, it happened that uh, at Saturday Night Live, uh, he used to be the anchor at Weekend Up. But McDonald had this thing about O.J. Simpson during the O.J. Simpson uh, mm -hmm. trial and afterwards. And uh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it turned out that uh, Don Olmeyer, who was the president of NBC at the time. Um, didn't like it because Don Olmeyer was a very, very close friends with O.J. Simpson. Oh. So as a result, uh, Don Olmeyer had him fired from the, the desk and had him replaced um, and eventually had him fired, period. Along with one of the other writers, uh, Jim Downey, who also <laughs> had a thing for O.J. Simpson, and mm -hmm. they wouldn't let up. So uh, they both ended up getting fired from SNL. Yeah, I just posted um, the gif that was probably one of the comments that got him in trouble. <laughs> yes, yes. So the last clip uh, is some of the some of the jokes about O.J. Simpson, which are hilarious. All right. According to retailers, the most popular Halloween mask this year is O.J. Simpson, and the most popular Halloween greeting is "I'll kill you and that guy who's bringing over your glasses or treat." <laughs> the Pope came out with a book this week, which contains a series of essays examining faith and morality in today's secular world and the changing role of the Catholic Church as it approaches the 21st century. The book is entitled, God Himself Told Me That O.J. Is Guilty. <laughs> in other book news, Prince Charles released an autobiography in which he states that he never loved Princess Di and that his father pressured him to marry her. The book is entitled, 
course O.J. did it. I mean, come on. <laughs> in his book, O.J. Simpson says that he would have taken a bullet or stood in front of a train for Nicole. Man, I'm going to tell you, that is some bad luck when the one guy who would have died for you kills you. That's right. <laughs> you don't get worse luck than that. And O.J. announced this week that he's coming out with a new book called I Want to Tell You. And if it's successful, O.J. will work on yet another book entitled From Football to Prison, My 25 Years of Showering with Other Men. <laughs> Finally, in honor of the 50th anniversary of their first publication, Random House will be releasing special commemorative issues of many Dr. Seuss classics. The first to hit the bookshelves will be Green Eggs and Ham and O.J. is Guilty. <laughs> Judge Ito was interviewed this week by a local TV station in Los Angeles, asked by the interviewer if it was appropriate for a supposedly impartial judge to be on TV with his case still pending. Ito said, Maybe not, but how appropriate is it to kill your ex-wife? Wow. Wow. <laughs> and hence he was fired. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember those, too. I remember them as clearly as day now that they're played again. Mm. <laughs> and Olmeyer actually had the balls to give a party to the jurors, jurors after oh the acquittal. Well, that's classless. That's insane. You tell me about it. So... Uh, really, uh, you know, Norm didn't really care. So, no, uh, that was basically, uh, that was basically it. Um, Norm got fired, but he lived on. Don Olmeyer did not. There. Well, there you go. Hey, uh, and he, well, put that, he put that perfect picture there, too, because that just tells, shows you how schmarmy OJ is. Oh, yeah. Hate well, that picture. <laughs> we we got to get running. Uh, we're cutting into uh, uh, Miles' time, but don't worry, Miles. I'll make sure we'll we'll go over into uh, hour three if need yeah. be, if you need more time. So, uh, but we got to get to uh, Adam's mythical moment. Uh, he uh, went wolf themed for us tonight. So thank you for that, uh, Adam. And a uh, little Norse mythology coming your way. Uh, so yeah, here we'll uh, give a little wolf out to set it up. <laughs> For Radio for Humans, and it came from Cleveland, this is Adam Hebert with Mythical Moment 23, The Binding of Fenrir, Thrown to the Wolves. One of the more prevalent themes in Norse mythology is how the actions Odin takes to protect the Aesir and forestall Ragnarok actually have the opposite effect. The efforts he makes to hinder possible threats end up making more enemies for the Aesir to contend with. One of the best examples of this is the Binding of Fenrir. Loki, the god of mischief, was often called the father of monsters, and rightfully so. He had birthed Odin's eight-legged steed. He had birthed Odin's eight-legged steed, Sleipnir, while in the form of a mare. And so, when one day he returned to Asgard with three children in tow, no one really thought much of it. One of them was Hel, who had a body that was half beautiful little girl, and half rotting corpse. Another was Jormungandr, a serpent that was one day going to be known as the Midgard Serpent and encircle the world. Finally, there was Fenrir, who had the appearance of a large wolf cub when he made his entrance at Asgard. Odin knew that fate had determined these three monstrous children of Loki 
would fight against the Aesir during Ragnarok, the final war between gods and giants. And so he took to neutralizing the threats. Jormungandr was thrown in the ocean with the hope that it would be devoured by an apex predator before it could grow into a legitimate threat. Hel was sent to Niflheim, where she would rule over the dishonored dead, and that left Fenrir. While Fenrir was extremely large and growing for a wolf cub, he wasn't exceptionally dangerous at first. The gods played with him and took him for walks, and he generally lived the equivalent of the good life. As he grew, however, more and more gods kept their distance. Eventually, only the god Tyr would be brave enough to stay in Fenrir's company. Soon, Fenrir was huge, and Odin knew he would one day be a threat, and so he took to finding ways to bind the wolf. He contacted the dwarves, and they sent a strong fetter they believed would do the job, called Lading. Odin challenged Fenrir to prove his strength by trying to break the chain. Fenrir looked at the fetter, which had the form of an exceptionally strong chain, and decided to accept the challenge. He allowed the gods to place it on him, and with a flick of his leg, the chain shattered into many pieces with ease. Thankfully, the chain was under warranty, and the dwarves sent a second, stronger fetter, the chain known as Dromi. Once again, Fenrir effortlessly shattered the chain, and Odin started to panic. The dwarves sent one final fetter, Gleipnir. It looked to be a simple and fragile silk ribbon, but the dwarves promised it would do the job. When Odin asked what it was made of, the only response he would get was, Ancient Dwarven Secret. The ribbon was presented to Fenrir as a final challenge. He looked at it and shook his head, stating that such a thing would be no challenge for him. He was also just smart enough to suspect a trick, and his wolf senses told him there was something more to this Gleipnir. Odin, however, would not take no for an answer. This was his last chance to deal with Fenrir. Odin insisted that Fenrir try, and Fenrir finally said he would. If one of the Aesir would put their hand in his mouth as proof that this was being done as a game and in good faith. None of the gods accepted until Tyr stepped forward. Tyr had bonded with Fenrir, and had given the wolf friendship when the other gods feared him. Fenrir accepted this gesture, and the gods went to a mountain with a lake in front of it. Tyr put his hand in Fenrir's mouth and knelt. The Aesir carefully affixed the ribbon first to the mountain and then to Fenrir. Once given the signal, Fenrir tried to tear the ribbon to no avail. He struggled even more, refusing to give in and accept this thin ribbon could possibly bind him. It soon dawned on him that he had actually been tricked, and he bit down on Tyr's hand, severing it completely at the wrist. The gods had succeeded, but it was a hollow victory. When Ragnarok came, Gleipnir would be broken, and one of their best warriors was now without a hand. Fenrir swore revenge when the fetter would break, vowing to devour Odin whole, just as the prophecy stated. Odin didn't respond, and simply took his leave of the massive wolf as Fenrir howled into the night. For Radio for Humans, and it came from Cleveland, this is Adam Hebert asking, Won't someone please give Tyr a hand? I'll, uh, I'll just see myself out. Back to you, Kenny. Background music is Medieval Fantasy Adventure by Alexander Nakarada, who can be found at www.serpentsoundstudios.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Thanks, Alexander.
All right, great job, Adam. Thank you for that, and of course, welcome back. Uh, thank you, Joe, for the uh, the comedy, the laughs from uh, the late great Norm Macdonald, and uh, Michelle. Thank you for the uh, werewolf theme uh, that kick off the show. What What about uh, uh, Joe's uh, picture of the pig with the peg leg? Oh, <laughs> oh, I, I I missed it. I missed it. You did a beautiful so. job. Excellent. There it is. So, uh, <laughs> there's some uh, show art. <laughs> uh, and uh, last but not least, Miles. Sorry to cut in your time there, but we'll uh, we'll give you more uh, if you need it. So, uh, why don't you set it up and we'll uh, um, tell us uh, some history. Very good. All right. So, uh, yes, the, the Great War started in 1914. Uh, over some guy named Prince Ferdinand or something got assassinated and all these nations decided they were going to go slaughter each other or anyway uh, something I do want to put in uh, for context of this is about how technology uh, changes battle tactics mm -hmm. uh, for the longest time battles were pretty simple you just had your infantry, you had your cavalry, you had your archers. And for the longest time, that's all it was. Nothing really changed. You'd have advances in, like, armor, you know, going from bronze or to, to iron, steel, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then, but, it, you know, it, it, it would progress to the point where, like, a crossbow made armor obsolete because the crossbow could penetrate armor. So armor stopped being used because the crossbow's dirt cheap to make and any idiot could use it, mm -hmm. unlike the bow. So anyway, we move up to 19th century. Um, actually, no, the 20th century. The uh, 1900s is the 20th century. Gotcha. So now is when machine guns are pretty common and owned by every nation. You know, because like Gatling guns were, you know, in the Civil War. And so they had been perfected, uh, to, for, for lack of a better word. Now, not enough battles have been fought by the great nations to um, prepare the militaries involved for the change in tactics necessary to account for this leap in technology. And so, as a result, all the standard tactics of just marching your infantry forward, having your cavalry swoop around with uh, flanking attacks, or whatever, didn't work because now the machine gun nests, machine gun uh, emplacements would simply mow your people down. Okay. And so, what happened is in the Great War, this resulted in trench warfare. Because now, instead of standing up and letting your enemy shoot you with a weapon that fires, you know, hundreds of bullets a minute, you're digging trenches into the ground to take cover, and you're sniping. All right. That's basically, and, and hardly any ground, I mean, in the old days, you could cover ground easily. Now, it, every foot was, you know, paid in blood. That That's, so, that brings us to uh, the yeah, so this is the horrors of World War One. Thousands of people dying, and uh, trench warfare, and no ground is being gained. And the generals 
Um, I, I really, you know, there are some military leaders I have respect for, but yeah, this isn't, this isn't the, uh, anyway. Yeah. This ain't uh, that. They, yeah. They would just keep sending their men to die. It was, it was horrible. But, um, so in this trench warfare, both sides would dig down. Um, all right. So let me give where this is happening. This is happening in Messines, Belgium where the British are on one side and the Germans are on the other. And you still have, you know, tunnelers where they dig down 20, 30 feet. There are these, you know, there are bunkers that are made to uh, protect each other, to protect themselves from uh, artillery. Because uh, artillery is another powerful ar uh, weapon that has uh, vastly improved compared to the, you know, the mid-1800s. Uh, and so this... Um, kind of fighting, you know, basically stagnated, and Britain decided to kick up the game. Okay. And what they did was they hired um, the professionals, the professional tunnel makers to join their military mm -hmm. and, and, and make a, a, a core based, that's their only job, is to dig tunnels. And the, the goal was to dig so deep that the enemy couldn't hear, you know, detect or, uh, you know, didn't even expect it. Yeah. And the plan was to dig a tunnel all the way under 90 feet deep, which is much deeper than the 20 to 30 feet deep that they were normally doing, and um, plant explosives. Uh that's the plan. So, yes. Yeah, so, what they did is they hired um, these professionals because what the professionals did is their normal jobs was for expanding sewer lines and subway stations. Uh, that's basically uh, their jobs in civilian life. And so... Um, these professionals had developed a method of digging called clay kicking. So clay kicking is a method where a, a man is basically on a uh, slope of, uh, on a, a piece of wood with a T across it. One second. Okay. I need to. I'm going to uh, upload the picture. Okay. There we go. Okay. So, and so um, they would use their leg muscles to drive this pointed spade into the clay and then kick the clay out. And then another team of people were to collected the the kicked out clay, slapped it into a bag, and then in, and and haul it into like a a, a cart. You, you've everyone has seen those old westerns where you got like the mine and you got that little iron cart that on the rails. Sure. Where you th so that's basically it. So one guy's kicking out the clay, one guy bags it, another guy hauls it out on the iron cart, and that's what they did, and. The the mission was so was so secretive that they didn't 
remove the soil during the daytime because basically in the daytime that's when they were spying on each other you're looking through your you know binoculars and what have you and trying to figure out what the enemy is doing and this was such a secret mission that they didn't even bring the dirt out during the daylight because they yeah. didn't want the germans to know how deep they were digging because they were getting blue clay uh that's how deep it was wow so hill 60 is apparently in Messines. this is where um uh, there were 21 tunnels dug and hill 60 is where this uh happens or that's what it was designated mm -hmm. and there is a old movie called uh beneath hill 60 that tells a story about the australian tunnel diggers because okay. the british they hired uh, australians and canadians and british tunnelers for this mission uh, you know, because Britain was an empire and they, they just pulled everybody from everywhere. Um, and just this September, last month, a movie called The War Below was released about this. And I did share the trailer uh, in the... Did you see the trailer, Kenny? I did, but not until I just logged on right before the show, so... Okay. All right, that's fine. It's... So it just now came out, and it is about all of the, basically the mission. It's about the British um, uh, aspect of it. There we go. I mean, I can I can try and play it for you if you want me to play the audio through the uh, I through the, just playing the video here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's I I I play the tra I I listen to the trailer, and it's it'll give a feel for what's for what's going on. Okay, here you go. Uh, just one second for it to load and we are rolling. Yeah, there we go. Number of characters, 40,000. We are losing this war. How can that be? Sir, to break the German line, we need to do something new, something different, something the Hun will never see coming. And you'd have such a thing? Yes, sir, I believe I do. The Germans have built bunkers 30 feet below ground level, and we've thrown everything we've got at them, and nothing. We're going to tunnel under no man's land, blow the enemy to kingdom come. Still don't see what this has to do with us. We don't have the expertise, but you men do. I'm going there to dig. Why you? They need people who can dig the clay. Don't they have miners over there or something? It's my duty, my responsibility. Your responsibility is to be here with your family. I didn't realize that meant putting our war effort into the hands of uneducated, untrained civilians. Give me four months. Can you do it in time? I don't know. We're the only crew that can. Without us, those tunnels are going to fail. He's going to break! Press the walls! We check the tunnel. There's some faint sounds scraping. It looks like the Germans are digging now, too. The Germans know we're coming. We shall not give our enemies one foot of soil. Successful could change the face of the war. 
I hope to God no one ever has to see a place like this again. But to do that, the job's got to be finished. And I believe we're the only ones can do it. Gentlemen, tonight we may not make history. But we'll certainly change the bloody geography. Johnny! We do this, and the war's over. Certainly changed the bloody geography. Yeah, that is actually a quote by the general of uh, that was given to the press or to the men uh, uh, at the time of uh, of it. So, and it is uh, the topography has still changed to this day. There's 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 craters on this hill. Uh, I've seen pic there's pictures online you can look up for uh, uh, Hill 60 on in the sands and. Uh, Anyway, I'll, I'll I'll get back to that. So, this different method of um, tunneling by these experts, because the normal method was basically using a pick or a flat mm -hmm. shovel or what have you, and they'd usually clear about six feet per shift of work. And wow. these experts came in and were clearing twelve to fourteen feet, and so that's the difference. You're doubling the the productivity. Yeah. So they're digging underneath all the way under the German locations. And they got to do it quietly because they're, they're, there's scenes in that trailer where you see them holding stethoscopes to their ears up to the walls. And mm -hmm. they're listening for the sounds of shovels and picks of the enemy and trying to figure out where they are. So, yeah, that it's sort of like, I guess, a, a way of an, an analogy is like submarine warfare where you're listening yeah. You know, like sonar, kind of thing. So you know that that that's cool and exciting. I, I I haven't seen I haven't seen this movie. Like I said, it just came out in September, but I'm I'm interested. So they dig the tunnels underneath, and they place in these 21 tunnels 445 tons of explosives. Wow, that's a lot. Um. That is that is a crazy high amount. Bigger than a bread basket, that's for sure. It is. And on June seventh of nineteen seventeen, at three in the morning, um, all of the uh, infantry were ordered to you know be there and be ready to. They're going to do a charge. And uh, the like, as I said, the mission was so secret. None of them were told. The only ones that knew were the officers that the mines were going to be detonated. And at 3.10 a.m., they were detonated. And mountains of soil and, and, and German equipment just blew up into the air. The explosions were so loud, they were heard in France and in England. Sounds like the Fourth of July around here. It's it's like the <laughs> the, the <laughs> it's it, that's how horrifying it was. The ground was shaking, so that it, it it is believed that in a matter of five minutes, ten thousand Germans died. Oof. That's yeah, yeah. It, it was brutal. So if 
you were on the explosion and you died immediately. You were like one of the lucky ones because I remember me talking about how you would dig these bunkers underground yeah. to, for the, to protect yourself from the artillery. So imagine it's nighttime, 3 a.m. in the morning. Most of your forces are hunkered in on, in these little bunkers asleep. And all of a sudden, boom, explosions happen. And they've got braces and whatnot to keep cave-ins from happening. And if those hold, but the entrances are, the ground shakes with such violence that uh, there's cave-ins that, and you're buried alive. Yeah. That's yeah. horrific. Yeah. It, it's, it, so that's, uh, yeah, some of the most powerful explosions uh, uh, to date. Uh, actually, it was, I believe, uh, the most powerful explosion at that uh, in history uh, up until that moment, right up until, of course, you know, nuclear uh, nuclear weapons were used. But yeah, in, in any case, um, so the Brits charge up and they claim the territory. It was c considered a victory, um, but then in World War One, it's just such a nightmare. Um, it was kind of got overshadowed by these other defeats or what have you, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, it was a very painful blow to the Germans. But World War One is just a horrific um, battle where this is also where chemical warfare became uh, oh yeah mustard, uh, introduced yes. the mustard gas and what have you, and that's what brought. Um, the name escapes me. Anybody remember the name of the treaty that where you, you have war Convention. crimes? The Geneva Convention. Thank you. You're welcome. Right. So the uh, I had a mental block. So the the Geneva Convention was created to outlaw weapons of that that you know are grievous. I I don't think flamethrowers are outlawed, but like you know, like like or shotguns. But yeah, lead bullets. I think are outlawed. You have to have jacket, uh, copper jacketed bullets now, or something like that. You know, because of the, the grievous. It's a bunch of rules, but uh, yeah, gas gas warfare is outlawed and what have you. But uh, if I didn't have enough to talk about, I was actually going to talk about a werewolf game I played in that I have a fond memory of. Oh yeah, but uh, um, I, I yeah I I can talk about it. It's, I, I enjoyed it immensely. Um, if you want to, you know, kill a little more time. I'm well, cool if, you, if can... you, you want five minutes to talk about it, that, that enough. Yeah. Time? All right. I can do it in five. All right. So, uh, Michelle, and I have a friend, he runs a comic book shop and this was a number of years ago. And this, I went up there and he had a game day and, uh, we were around a table with a bunch of other players, about a dozen or so, 10 to a dozen. And it is a werewolf game where hidden, Amongst the people are a number of werewolves, and it is the players that are not werewolves' jobs to find and identify the werewolves and kill them. Nice. So um, every every uh, all right. So the 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 important players are me. Uh, there's a married couple. I'll simply refer to them as husband and wife, and then there they have a friend, and I'll call him friend. So the game is going along, and I and the husband are the werewolves. And so there's a point where we are allowed, everyone puts their head down on the table, and then the, the organizer of the game says, all right, the werewolves wake up, they look at each other, and I see the husband and I make eye contact, and then we agree on a victim. And boop, that person's killed, 
removed from the game. And then we put everybody with heads down, heads back up, and they're like, all right, who's the werewolves? And so everyone starts discussing, well, I think so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. And everybody votes, and they vote for the husband. They think this this guy had a had a pretty he wasn't a very good liar. <laughs> yeah. So he pretty much gets busted. So people are pointing fingers about who they vote to be the the the, the werewolf, and I also point at him, going, "Yeah, I think he's one." This is important <laughs> later. And so he is killed because he's taken out and executed by the village. His cards turned over, and it's revealed he's a werewolf. Yay! Werewolf dead. Everybody, you know, let's let's celebrate. Put our heads down. It's the next night time, and I am still the last werewolf in the game. And I start picking off people that um, voted for the husband, other than me. And so uh, it, the game proceeds, and and they they keep killing innocent people. Every time they vote, they they kill another innocent. And then I kill an innocent at night. And it gets down to the point where there's only the wife left alive, the friend, and myself. There's just three of us left alive. Mm -hmm. And the wife has got a special card that makes her the sheriff. And that makes her like a tiebreaker vote, a vote to tiebreaker, whatever. Yeah. Anyway. So the friend is pointing at me going, nope, it's him, it's him. And I'm pointing at the friend going, no, it's him. And, and the friend is like, uh, you can see the emotion in him when he's, you know, you're innocent and you know who the guilty man is. And he's trying to convince the wife who's the, he's actually a friend of hers in real, you know, and he's like, it's him. Just look at him. Look how calm and collected he is. It's gotta be him. He's the, he's the werewolf. And I, and I just sat there and it's like, yeah, yeah. There's a good reason why I'm calm and collected. It's because I know that she and I are the only ones here that voted for the husband to be the werewolf. You didn't. And and the and the look on his face and the and and so it was it, the wife had to make the choice. She was the tie breaking, and she's like, ah, I think the friend is the werewolf. And he it, the agony in his voice. He was like, ah, and so he's killed. He has to turn his card over, and it shows he's a human. And I look at the wife, and I just go, gotcha. <laughs> so I won nice. the game for the team werewolf. <laughs> I, I was killed immediately in the next game out of out of revenge, but it still felt good. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. No, no, you gotta love that when a when a game goes uh, in your favor that way. That's awesome. So, all right. Well, what's the? Would you remember the name of the game? Yeah, we own it. It's the what? Uh, it's the werewolves at the. Uh... Yes, yeah, werewolf. I think. Yeah, but oh, okay. it's called something. Like I'll, the I'll find the link for you. Okay. Oh yeah, right. we'll link it. Excellent. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. We got to get going to the break uh, again right now, um, but we will return shortly. And I'm going to talk about some of Bella Lugosi's movies, uh, later films, and his struggle with addiction, and what a hero he actually was, and what a really cool person he was to his friends, and how his friends were cool to him too, uh, and how he. And Frank Sinatra became friends. Unlikely duo there. So all that and much more when we return on It Came From Cleveland right after this. This is the manager speaking. Give me your attention for 60 seconds. In a few days, we will bring you something new that's never been to town before. 
you will actually see at this theater, in person, not a movie, a man buried alive. You will be able to see him in the grave through a specially constructed viewing tube. Since I am unable to admit you free, all I can do is urge you to see this truly amazing and unbelievable sight. We will give a bottle of My Sin perfume to any girl who can look into the grave and not faint. We will have an ambulance on call. If you look into this grave, you will remember it the longest day you live. Thank you. You can run from Suspiria. You can hide from Suspiria. Who's there? Who's there? But you cannot escape Suspiria. Once you've seen Suspiria, you will never again feel safe in the dark. Rated R. Under 17. Not admitted without parents. Happy Halloween! I'm Dumpy the Pumpkin. The fresh ice cream cake made daily at Carvel. And here's my good friend, Ricky the Witch. Are you having a Halloween party? Go to your participating Carvel ice cream store and ask to see us. Dumpy the Pumpkin and me, Ricky the Witch. Or, if you want to send one of us to a friend... Please phone 800-327-GIFT and call the cake honors most major credit cards. Thank you. We now bring you a special report from the Transylvania News Department. Count Dracula has ordered the world's leading monsters to come to his castle immediately. This conference on the night before Halloween only confirms the rumor from an unimpeachable source that Halloween is in danger of disappearing forever. Who knows what impact this will have on tiny tots all over the globe. If this rumor is correct, this means the end of Halloween, a beloved 2,000-year-old tradition. Who conceived this diabolical scheme? Some experts believe that Count Dracula himself is behind this threat to end Halloween. It is a sad possibility that Halloween, which got its name from All Hallows' Day, may be receding from us forever. And so tonight, the ancient streets of Transylvania are wild with rumors about this gathering of monsters in Count Dracula's castle. Trapped. 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 <laughs> They're trapped in a whirlpool of shrieking fear from the most fiendish idea ever conceived by the human brain. The Brainiac. Amit has a friend. She was beautiful, desirable, and not altogether human. The curse of the crying women. Together they will trap you in a world of horror. But if you live through it, you will never forget. The Brainiac and the Curse of the Crying Women. Children of the night, what music they make. It's going to be a good night. We came from Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last. The real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination.
combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A Something evil. Beware of the big green dragon that sits on your doorstep. He eats little boys. Not recommended for impressionable children. Alright, welcome back to It Came From Cleveland. Michelle, what episode are we on? 27? 26? I think we're 26. Yeah. So, uh, welcome back, everybody. Uh, our, uh, we have one more show before Halloween, and um, again, a uh, very important birthday in my life is probably my favorite horror actor of all time, the late and amazing uh, Bella Lugosi. And, of course, Michelle, thank you again for the werewolf treatment at the beginning of the program. Appreciate that very much. You are most welcome. And Joe, Norm MacDonald, always uh, good for a laugh. Uh, and I had no idea he'd, he passed away, so uh, I appreciate the update on that. I missed that. Oh, yeah. And Miles, uh, thank you for that. Uh, uh, wow, what devastation they were capable of in World War One. Oh, yeah. So... Um, all right, so I, uh, when, when I learned, and of course I forgot, I totally forgot, we talked about this a while ago, um, uh, you know, that, that Bella Lugosi's birthday was in October, October 20th, correct? Um, and, uh, it, again, it just an amazing guy, uh, you know, I'm not going to talk about his early life, a lot of people know about that, um, wh what I want to talk about are some of the friendships he had, and there's a much, um... There, a lot of people have really maligned Ed Wood for being a bad friend to Bella Lugosi for essentially using footage that he shot intended for something else with Bella uh, and inserted it into Plan 9 from Outer Space uh, to make it Lugosi's last film. Lugosi's family, chief among the people who felt like he was taking advantage of the name of Bella Lugosi, but they were truly friends. And... Um, uh, Ed Wood uh, had met Bella, who wasn't getting many jobs uh, in the 50s. And, um, you know, and, and uh, there was a movie that Ed kind of, if you've seen the movie Ed Wood, the story of how this came about was uh, uh, pretty pretty accurate in the film, but there's a lot more detail and nuance to it. But there was an exploitation filmmaker by the name of George Weiss who wanted to, um, he couldn't get the rights to the Christine Jorgensen story. Christine Jorgensen, famous for being, uh, if not the first, one of the earliest uh, transgender uh, surgeries, uh, um, you know, to become a woman. And uh, so, of course, this guy, George Weiss, wanted to make it, and he wanted to make it, you know, they changed my sex or something like that, you know. He really, you know, and the movie was called that. They had, for a while, they they had posters and everything uh, for that. Ed Wood uh, found out about this, and he went to Weiss, and he's like, "Look, I work fast, I work cheap. I have, I met a friend. I have a star for your movie, uh, Bella Lugosi, uh, and uh, I will make this. And I have, you know, personal connection to this because he he was a cross dresser, and very comfortable in that. Um." And so, you know, and again, you know, that's not quite the same thing as transgenderism, being a crossdresser, but, you know, he, he had empathy because he had other friends like uh, Bunny Breckenridge who uh, wanted to get uh, the surgery but never did, uh, died before uh, uh, 
uh, bunny could uh, uh, transition. And um, so, and I'm I'm gonna try and talk about this as as, as best as I can, being a, a just a clunky straight dude. Um, and but I, I really felt like this movie, even though it was done at a time when you know exploitation was king for B movies, um, that that this was handled in a probably about the best way possible. Um, and, uh, by Ed Wood and, uh, and I'll explain here momentarily. Uh, but, uh, sorry. Uh, 1953 is when Glenn or Glenda came out. I, I was struggling to remember the year, but, uh, take a look at how the movie began. I took a screenshot of this and, uh, I'll read it to everybody who's listening on the podcast but uh, it says uh, in the making, uh, in the making, in the making of this film, which deals with a, a strange and curious subject, no punches have been pulled, no easy way has been taken. Uh, many of the smaller parts are portrayed by persons who actually are in real life the character they portray on the screen. Uh, this is a picture of stark realism, taking no sides but giving you all the facts, all the facts as they are today. You are society, judge ye not. So that, I mean, Joe, that's a pretty progressive stance uh, uh, for for a film like this. Yes, right, it is right out of the gates. So absolutely. And, and again, you know, some of the language in there isn't so great—a strange and curious subject. But you know, uh, there, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot in this movie that doesn't work. But I truly feel that there are some things that do work. Now, Bella took the role essentially of God in this movie, which has been interpreted many times or the puppet master, you know, but essentially he's, he's, he's God and he oversees what, what is going on in the world. Now this movie also stars Ed Wood and he, he does, you know, uh, you know, he wears the clothes that he wore in real life. Now it, it tackled, it, it tried in a very clumsy fashion to tackle the subject of, transgenderism um and and cross-dressing and um and to a little bit uh you know a little bit of homosexuality in here um but uh but essentially it was it was kind of trying to tell parallel stories of somebody who was uh, transitioning and somebody who was struggling glenn uh, who was struggling with his identity of uh, somebody who wanted to wear women's clothing and, you know, the reaction from his uh, girlfriend or uh, fiance, whatever Dolores Fuller's character was. And, um, but the way it was set up, uh, w there are uh, some really great moments from Bella and there's some really thoughtful writing in here. Again, the movie is not perfect. There are some kind of like, you know, awkward clumsy moments with you know how they talk about subjects or ed wood's like penchant for using stock footage to try and pad things out um and uh but essentially that what this is saying is you know at one point in the film they're saying well oh at one point there you know people were saying you know if god wanted us to fly why didn't he give us wings uh, you know, so so essentially, this is an all for science. If this helps someone in their life, why not use it? 
Um, and, and so that, that I think is the key element to this. Now there's other important things about Glenn or Glenda and, um, and, but here's the, here's the intro from Bella Lugosi, uh, talking about, um, well, well, you'll, you'll hear what he says and then we'll discuss a little. of time brings to light many startling things. <laughs> startling because they seem new, sudden. But most are not new to the signs of the ages. So a little convoluted there, but he's saying, you know, he's saying there's nothing new under the sun. You know, you know, people, you know, will are, are stunned by things that they see are new. But, you know, it's the signs of the ages, the things, you know, progress and uh, um, it, 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 there's always progress. And again, but there really is nothing new. There have been people who have identified, um, you know, uh, outside of the, you know, the you know cisgender uh you know alpha male sub submissive woman roles for you know for ages you know you read about it all the time in in, in history not everybody fits into the judeo-christian you know stereotype for the patriarchy what have you um so so that to me is uh you know is is a, a pretty loose setup for um for a pretty open-minded film. Again, there are some weird moments that I've chosen to kind of gloss over and take the better moments for, again, for a movie from 1953. I think it's very progressive. It, it's been panned, of course, you know, for, you know, low budget, whatever. But I do think this is a movie that everybody should watch, and there are some really important moments in it. Um, and the, this scene that I'm about to play the, the dialogue from is, is Bella Lugosi again, uh, because you know, it's his birthday. So I'm focusing mostly on Bella's scenes from this. Um, and, uh, it, the passion in his voice it, in this, it is such an incredible performance. And to me, it was, it's so great because the friendship of between him and Edward, a lot of people say Edward's not the best writer. Um, but, I think he had a lot more thought-provoking writing than, than uh, a lot of other people who were doing low-budget movies, especially the crap that George Weiss was putting out. Uh, you know, because it was just all just garbage, you know, recycled uh, plots and scripts and everything. It, at the very least, that's one thing you can say about Glenn or Glenda. It is a wholly unique film. Yeah, again, multiple narrators, stock footage, stuff like that. There's uh, there's a lot of cheap shortcuts, but again, he was casting people who were his friends that were considered outcasts uh, that never would have gotten a job in any kind of mainstream Hollywood uh, picture. There were actually 
um, the, you know, uh, transgendered individuals and cross-dressing individuals in this that, you know, that's who they were in real life. That's what the disclaimer said at the beginning. Um, now, uh, this one, so, but this one is the, the passionate, you know, uh, this is about the beginning and ending of life and, in the positivity and happiness on Bella's face when he, when you hear him say, uh, you know, a life has begun and, you know, the, in, in his diet monologue through that until a life is ended. And that, when you find out what he talks about when a life has ended, this is probably, a message that is so far ahead of its time and so and so uh, 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 decent in its humanity uh, that, uh, you know, it, it's it, it might as well have been written yesterday. But here's Bella talking about the beginning of life and the ending of a life. People all going somewhere. All with their own thoughts, their own ideas. All with their own personalities. One is wrong because he does right. One is right because he does wrong. Pull the string. Dance to that. I'm going to pause it there, too. When uh, He says, when one is right, they're wrong, and when one is wrong, they're right. That plays directly into what's coming, and that is when somebody lives the life that they feel they should be living, it's wrong in the eyes of society. And then when somebody does something to someone, this is how I interpret it. When someone does something wrong to someone to to take away their individual freedom, that makes them right. And and you, you'll see how that's represented after this clip. But uh, but I just wanted to pause it there. I should have broken it up into two clips. But continuing. Which one is created for? A new day is begun. A new life is begun. Life is ended. All right. So a life is ended. The scene then cuts away from Bella, who's kind of in a kind of, you know, it's kind of a cheap set with a skeleton and, you know, beakers and vials and things like that. And it, it cuts away to an apartment. And there has been a suicide. And um, this is a character by the name of Patricia who has committed suicide. And this is uh, 
the police go in. Lyle Talbot, you recognize that name, Joe? Lyle Talbot? Yes, I do. Yeah, he was around. He did a lot of serials and stuff like that back in the day. Ed was a big fan of him. Uh, you'll, you'll hear a little bit of Lyle Talbot in the beginning of this. Um, he plays uh, the police chief. Um, and this this sets off a chain of events is, as to uh, the it, it sets off uh, basically a whole bunch of ch- a chain of events that are really exposition kind of explaining the lives of Glenn and another character named uh, Alan slash Ann. Um, so, uh, but this, they, they arrive to an apartment and, uh, Lyle Talbot says, hand me that note. Let me see that note. The records will tell the story. I was put in jail recently. Why? Because I, a man was caught on the street wearing women's clothing. This was my fourth arrest for the same act. In life, I must continue wearing them. Therefore, it would only be a matter of time until my next arrest. This is the only way. Let my body rest in death forever in the things I cannot wear in life. So that is... That's so relevant today. Well, you know, the, the, with bullying and, you know, um, you know, from children, adults and authorities towards, uh, individuals who choose, you know, not to do the, you know, binary, uh, you know, force them, you know, refuse to be forced into a binary, um, uh, lifestyle, uh, you know, or, or just identity, you know, there isn't just two identities out there for, for men and women. It, it, you know, and it, there shouldn't be. Um, so to address suicide in 1953 of someone who is being bullied by society, it's, that's real progressive thinking right there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, Joe, that's, uh, you know, again, pretty, uh, pretty forward thinking right that's a, a remarkable film i i've never heard of i think i've heard of it but i've yeah. never heard clips from it. well but, it's uh, it's been met with a lot of derision over the years as just being low budget and you know and again that people would would laugh at it because they didn't want to understand the subject matter i've <laughs> known about this movie since um the early 90s um and uh, probably even before that, but I couldn't find it until a friend of mine let me borrow it. And I was blown away. I thought I was watching a David Lynch movie. And again, the subject matter was so, you know, it was treated what I think is, is probably with the most respect it could have been treated with uh, in 1953. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Michelle, have you seen Glenn or Glenda? Yes, I have. Yeah, and, and, you know, I mean, in that sense, you know, it's not a perfect film, obviously. It's Ed Wood, you know. Uh, he worked fast, he worked cheap, uh, you know, he, he took shortcuts, but pretty remarkable, uh, you know, the, this top, this subject matter. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's portrayed in a way that still makes it feel very sad at times, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially that, oh, yeah. that, that note. Um, but, uh, I've never thought of it as being really horribly low budget. 
to me, it didn't feel that way. Yeah. Because the, the subject matter was so well written in certain areas. And you know. he, he worked well with what he had, and it is very artful. I mean, it is a very artful film. I mean, you know, one of the cheaper things I'm thinking of is that, that one picture you posted there with Bella over, you know, in the superimposed street crowd. I mean, that's, yeah. a, that's a real cheap use of stock footage there. There probably could have been a better way for him to do that, but, you know, it was a rush job. So... Uh, so, so now I want to talk a little bit more about, uh, Bella Lugosi and, uh, why would Bella Lugosi do this? Why would a guy like this do this? Well, first of all, let me tell you, Bella Lugosi was an anti-fascist, so let's give it to him for that. Um, and yep. I was just thinking, maybe that's also why he pronounces his name Bella instead of the, the, the Hungarian pronunciation. Because Miles looked it up and the Hungarian pronunciation is the one that Sven Gulli tries to do. Oh, Okay. And maybe that's why he wanted to make it more, a little more American sounding because, you know, he was also being targeted by some of the yeah. anti-American committees and stuff. Oh, oh sure. Sure. So um, now, okay. So, so a little bit about the friendship. I don't, uh, I don't have all the details in front of me, uh, but I'll, I'll try and look some of that up uh, maybe for next week. Um, but uh, Ed Wood, it, what was actually literally friends with Bella Lugosi and um, of no relation to Ed Wood, but Evelyn Wood, who was an actress who played a role, she played Glenn's sister in Glen or Glenda. Uh, in the in the book Ed Wood, Nightmare of Ecstasy, The Life and Art of Ed Wood Jr. by Rudolph Gray, which was the inspiration for the Johnny Depp film, uh, the Tim Burton Johnny Depp film, um, Evelyn Wood wrote this, uh, about when she was living in New York and, uh, Ed Wood was, uh, roommates with Alex Gordon, who was a producer of things like the Astounding She, she the Astounding She Creature, which Ed Wood doesn't have credits on the Astounding She Creature, but a lot of film historians believe the writing on that is very similar to Ed Wood. And, and so they think that Ed worked on it without credit. You know, probably for a few bucks to get some booze or something. Um, but uh, so this is about Evelyn Wood talking about hanging out with Alex Gordon and uh, and then um, also hanging out with uh, Ed and Alex. I don't know if it was if they were if if they, it jumps to Hollywood from New York or, or what. But this is what it says. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. OK. So they Alex Gordon knew Evelyn Wood from New York. So it says. Alex had known me in New York, so we talked. We had a heart-to-heart -heart talk. Um, Ed's not gay. He just likes to wear women's clothes, so that was okay by me. I could accept anything. I was very naive, but uh, I could still accept things. Uh, I just lived back-to-back uh, -back across the alley to Ed and Alex's apartment. We'd be sitting there, and Ed would say, I'm hungry. So I'd say, I'll go home and bake a pie, and I'd bake a lemon pie in 15 minutes from scratch. I don't believe that. Um, <laughs> uh, sometimes Dolores Fuller would be at their, their apartment, Ed, Alex, and Bella, and me. We would just sit around and shoot the bull. Ed would have on a blonde wig, a dress, high-heeled shoes, silk hose, nothing that I ever wanted to beat him up and take away from him, <laughs> and very frequently an Angora sweater. He loved boas and Angoras. Uh, as to Ed's dressing, Bella didn't care. I mean, you do your thing, I'll do mine kind of situation. Bella was very sophisticated, suave, gracious, never offensive. 
We all treated it as if it was the most normal thing in the world. Ed would just smile and say, that's the real me. But everything was just free uh, and relaxed. It was just a fun place to go. So Bella was perfectly comfortable. Uh, had no problems with him being a crossdresser whatsoever. So that plays into the character of Bella Lugosi quite, quite well to me. I mean, uh, you know, um, Miles, I'm sure you probably haven't seen this movie, but, you know, there's some pretty interesting stuff about the, the history of this. Yeah, but, yeah, he's very uh, a very interesting individual. He was he served in World War One. Yes, yeah, and one of his earliest uh, stage roles was that of Jesus Christ. Oh wow! Yeah, um, but uh, uh, yeah. So um, I'll tell you what I want to just so we don't run out of room. Uh, I c- I could carry over some of this. I might have to carry over uh, Bride of the Atom or Bride of the Bride of the Be- Bride of. Uh, Bride of the Monster or slash Bride of the Atom until next week. But um, I do want to uh, get to this uh, break here. And when we come back, um, actually, no, I think, yeah, we'll, we'll wrap up the Glenn or Glenda uh, talk and then we'll get into some of Bella's finest, one, probably his last best, I think it's his last speaking role in film was Bride of the Monster. Um, and we'll talk about his other, uh, other final films where he did not speak. Um, and, uh, in his triumphant return from, uh, addiction as well. So, uh, we'll try and cram all that in when we come back. Uh, but we're going to get to, uh, some, uh, kill the hippies, uh, songs. I still have them loaded from last week. We're going to do Hallelujah, the Wolfman's wedding, uh, right now. Hang tight. We'll be right back. Thank you very much for coming to Hallelujah, or should I say, thank you very much. <laughs> Welcome to Hallelujah on this spooky night. Come on in and have a bite on the neck. <laughs> I think you've got a few bats in it's your Godzilla was going to come, but he couldn't fit in the room. And the mummy's running late. He goes wrapped up in his tomb. And the ghost ain't boo. It's a hallelujah. He's gonna be there too. I love you more. I was at the top of my anatomy class. I can find a vein on anybody. <laughs> Dancing ghouls and singing ghosts. Now raise your cup, propose a toast, the blood. <laughs> it's a hallelujah. Who put steak on the buffet? I specifically said no steak on the buffet. Oh, it's not like a little steak will kill you. No, a steak will literally fucking kill me. That is the one thing that will fucking kill a Dracula is a steak. That's the fucking fact. How could you not know this? Do you live under a rock? Why, yes, I do. It's quite an ice rock, might I add. The sun is rising and our hallelujah is coming to an end. 
We hope you made some ooky friends. What do you mean, friends? I think you mean to say it's a <laughs> and a ghost shaped boom. It's a halibaloo. You're gonna be there too. It's boogieing, it's moving the nuts in my neck. Wolfman! Get down from my couch, you bad boy! You'll be sleeping in the wolf house tonight! Goes off to their honeymoon 
And I do mean the moon. Miles, welcome, welcome. Yes, yes, hello. And Michelle, thank you for werewolf goodness tonight. Oh, you are more than welcome. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's my season. Gotta it do is, it. it is. And uh, thank you for reminding me about Bella Lugosi, too, because, uh, you know, again, my favorite horror actor of all time. And, uh, you know, uh, it was nice to dig the books out. Um, and Joe, welcome back to you as well, sir. I can fix that lump on the back. <laughs> what hump? No. lump? Hump? What hump? Uh, yeah, so, uh, again, uh, for some of my research tonight, again, uh, check out the books Ed Wood, Nightmare of Ecstasy, The Life and Art of Edward D. Wood Jr. by Rudolph Gray. Uh, there's another book by Midnight Marquee Actor Series. It is probably long out of print, but it's called Bella Lugosi, edited by Gary J. and Susan Svela, uh, Svela, um, yeah, so that's all, I mean, because it's a Midnight Marquee Press, they are probably long out of business from Baltimore, Maryland. Also, another book that I need to dig into a little bit more is Ed Wood in the Lost Lugosi Screenplays, uh, which is an oversized book, um, and, uh, it's from the Tom Weaver Presents Scripts from the Crypt Collection. And that's kind of where we're headed. I wish I would have had more time to read that. I forgot I owned it. But um, yeah, so uh, uh, so so wrapping it up with uh, um, uh, the um, I- I'm gonna I'm gonna forgo playing the ending in case anybody wants to to watch Glenn or Glenda. It is free to watch on YouTube. Um, I think a few people have it uploaded. I think it's public domain. Uh, I'm not sure, or it's pretty loosey-goosey with the rights on it. Um, uh, check it out, because the end also has a very important message um, that uh, still resonates to this day. Again, I don't want to ruin it. Um, check it out for yourself, and, and you know, let me know if you watch it, and, and uh, tell me what you think. Um, again, a movie that's um, you know nearly uh, 70 years old was, um, you know, uh, very forward thinking. Um, and you know, Ed Wood and Bella Lugosi, we have them to thank for, uh, for, for being, you know, decent human beings as well as the rest of the cast and crew. Um, so, uh, where I want to go right now is, um, uh, Bride of the Monster though. Um, this is, uh, some of Bella Lugosi's finest acting to me, you know, a lot of, um, you know, and, and again, he was kind of plucked from poverty, drug addiction and he was he was heavily addicted to um heroin uh during this because he had some kind of sciatic nerve injury um uh i believe somewhere oh gosh i just read what movie it was from the the in the bella lugosi this bella lugosi book from marquee midnight marquee um it documents all of his films and has all kinds of notes and um the the injury it might have been the black cat where they they think he might have developed his injury i'm not sure um it's f- loaded with great pictures and everything and tons of details on the movies 
next week I'm going to do, I'm going to read like whatever Lugosi movies we're talking about next week. I'm going to read the entire chapter on it and uh, have all kinds of tidbits for you. Um, but, uh, I love this line. This is a short one from Bride of the Monster. Bride of the Monster is a pretty straightforward mad scientist movie, um, where Bella Lugosi plays an exiled, uh, scientist from another unnamed country, you know, probably some, you know, you know, Russia, Germany, something like that, you know, uh, uh, some European country, um, and, uh, or, or, you know. Soviet Union, whatever. Um, when, when, wait, when was it? When did this Russia become the Soviet Union? Miles. What about the Soviet Union? When did Russia become the Soviet Union? Oof. I... Joe, do you know? No, don't I worry. Don't. About, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. The country's unnamed, so whatever. Whatever it was called at the time. Um, so, uh, but I, I just, I love this little line. Uh, he has, Bella, it opens and, you know, he, uh, Tor Johnson plays Lobo. Um, oh, here we go. Um, 1922 to 1991. Thank you, Michelle. And uh, so, yeah, so it would would have been the, the uh, Soviet Union. Um, but anyway. Uh, I love this line uh, from the uh, uh, beginning where he has his test subject. He's using a ray on him. He wants to turn him into a giant, um, you know, for his race of atomic supermen, and uh, which we'll get to in a moment from one of his best speeches in a film. Um, and this guy's like, what are you doing to me? And this is just one of the best lines. I love it. What are you doing to me? You will be soon as big as a giant. The strength of 20 men. Or, like all the others, dead. Or, like all the others, dead. What great delivery. I love that. Uh, so yeah, so essentially Bride of the Monster, mad scientist, he has a giant octopus, lots of stock footage, again, pretty low budget, scenes of Tor Johnson bumping into walls and the whole state, you know, set wobbling, um, and, uh, which was represented in the Ed Wood film as well, um, but, um, so at one point, you know, um, uh, he, um, another scientist from his country, uh, catches up with him living in, in America and I don't know where it's supposed to be, but he claims it's a jungle. There's not a lot of North American jungles. Are there? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> I mean, I mean, maybe Florida, uh, in the Everglades, sort of, um, but we're more swamp. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, but yeah, exactly. So I don't know where it's supposed to be, but, uh, he's, he's, you know that that's the the one the clunkiest form of uh, dialogue in here written by Ed Wood is about you know the location, but it's Doctor Strowski confronting uh, Doctor Vorloff. He plays uh, Doctor Eric Vorloff uh, in this uh, nice Dracula type sounding name, but this is a long scene, and many people will remember portions of this from the Ed Wood movie where uh, that one. Um, uh, 
Martin Landau, the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor as Bela Lugosi. And um, it really was was a, a beautiful piece of dialogue and a beautiful interaction by between uh, Bella and the actor who played Dr. Vorlov. Or, I'm sorry, Dr. Strowski. Um, and uh, I, I just love it. I, I wanted to play it more in context than what you get out of the Ed Wood, so this is kind of a long clip. So uh, here we go. Dr. Strowski confronts Dr. Vorlov. Dear Professor Strowski, well, it has been a very long time. What enough? It is you. You can see. In Paris, I missed you by a month. In London, a week. At Loch Ness, by only one day. <laughs> the monster of Lake Marsh sounded again like you. Why that's oh, some interest okay. in me? I want to pause it right there. Uh, so, I, I don't you, you love that, especially if you're watching American Horror Story right now. Oh, we just found out where the Loch Ness monster came from. <laughs> it <Yes>. was Doctor <laughs> Vorlov. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, I just thought I, I thought of that today. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I love that. So, Edward, you know, was kind of ahead of the game there too, Professor Strauski. Your experiments in atomic energy, of course. Ah. So my dear country now believes in my work and that it can be a success. Our government wants you to return, Vornov, to continue your research and experiments there where you can have everything at your disposal. <laughs> Why do you laugh? Surely this is not a laughing matter. My dear Professor Strauski, Twenty years ago, I was banned from my homeland, parted from my wife and son, never to see them again. Why? Because I suggested to use the atom elements for producing super beings, beings of unthinkable strength and size. I was classed as a madman a charlatan, outlawed in a world of science which previously honored me as a genius. Now, here in this forsaken jungle hell, I have proven that I am all right. Now, Professor Strauski, it is no laughing matter. Yes. Yes, indeed, it was a tragic error. But as soon as I learned how correct your findings were, always have been, I informed those in authority. Vornoff, I have searched for you everywhere. Everywhere I hear stories of monsters. Now I am here, sent to bring you home. Home? I have no home. Hunted. Despised. Living like an animal. The jungle is my home. That I will show the world that I can be its master. 
I will perfect my own race of people. A race of atomic supermen which will conquer the world. <laughs> yes. Yes, of course. A truly great master race. Such as I convinced my superiors only you could create. One with which our government can rule the world. Without debate. You misunderstand me, Strauski. I don't intend to return home. My plans are for myself. Are you mad, Vornov? One is always considered mad. You want to discover something that others cannot grasp. Our government ordered me to bring you back. I'm afraid you will find it rather difficult. You see, Voinov, I did not come alone. Neither did I. Oh. Yes, Rowski. Bring him along, Lobo. <laughs> I love. Neither did I. <laughs> Tor Johnson grabs him from behind and gets his gun. Bring him along, Lobo. <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's, uh, I did not come alone. Neither did I. So good. This is... I was doing a little bit of research on the break. This was Lugosi's final speaking role. Uh, his only... Um, and, and, and only other roles were... Uh, well, I'll, I'll talk to you about that in a minute. Uh, because I have another piece of audio that's a little bit long that I want to play. And I also want to just say what, you know, what a hero Bella Lugosi was for going public when uh, it came from, uh, he, he wanted to kick the heroin. It was killing him. He was dying. You could see how frail he was in Bride of the Monster. And um, he went into a sanitarium for, for three months. Uh, he was able to, you know, get clean. And uh, this is an interview uh, from 1956. Um, and he actually mentions one of his next projects uh, that he's going to be working on with a name that I've said quite a few times tonight. Uh, so listen to this. This is It's not as long as I thought. It's about a minute and a half. Mr. Lugosi, you're leaving the state hospital tomorrow. Yes, I'm very happy I do, on account that I became a, a new man. New lease of life. I'm cured. You're cured. Yes, I'm very grateful to the state uh, hospital that I, they allowed me and took me when I volunteered. You see, previously I was in a private sanitarium, but they, were, they weren't as strict, so I was, uh, I was afraid it was going to take too long. But now we made a short cut. It was very... How long have you been in the institution, Mr. Uh, three months. Three months. Because 90 days is the state law. Mm -hmm. It's minimum. What did you weigh when you came in, about, or how much underweight were you when you... Oh, I was 45 pounds underweight. 45? Yes. Have you put most of that back? Oh, yes, I regained 21 pounds. Mm -hmm. And you feel like you're old something. <laughs> you feel, feel like a million dollars. You feel like practically really felt, huh? Sure. That's yeah. best. I'm looking forward to work again. I understand that. I had an assignment uh, playing the star part in uh, The Goo Goes West. Uh -huh. Yes. And uh, Eddie Woods Eddie will Woods. be the oh, producer. And you're going to enter that as soon as you leave there. Surely. Well, that's fine. How did you ever hap happen to be 
to get on narcotics was put up. Oh, I had a very painful ailment. My sciatic nerves bothered me terribly. I suffered very much, so I went to the doctor and he gave me some narcotics to kill the pain. That happened about every week once, and it helped me so much. It put me so much in a good state of feeling that I used it later myself, even if I didn't have pain. Did you ever have any trouble getting it? No, because the doctor prescribed it. No, because the doctor prescribed it. Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, but in there, he mentioned a project, an unrealized project called The Ghoul Goes West, um, where it was essentially going to be a vampire western. It was going to be Bella reprising a role very similar to Dracula in a western setting, which I think would have been terribly smart at the time and would have been, uh, I think, probably a classic had it come to fruition. Sadly, it did not. The last film uh, he starred in was a movie called The Black Sleep uh, from 1956, shortly thereafter, and they did not give him a speaking role. He played the part of a mute. John Carradine and Basil Rathbone and Tor Johnson were uh, all in that movie too, Michelle. Um, Good cast. Yeah, yeah. Lon Chaney Jr. as well. Um, and, uh, but sadly, yeah, Bella wasn't, you know, and many of the other cast members weren't given speaking roles too. And they were just kind of put in the blurry background. They just wanted to throw extra names in, which I find more disrespectful than what Ed did with plan nine. The footage that, uh, if anybody's seen plan nine from outer space, you know, there's, there's a few different scenes of Bella outside of Tor Johnson's house, uh, near the highway, uh, where he's, you know, comes out and he, you know, I think p- picks a flower and drops it and sobs in his hand and walks off screen. Uh, and then later scenes of him dressed up kind of like Dracula uh, going through a graveyard and, you know, just, just a few other scenes. And then Ed Wood decided to make this Bella's last film, recycle the footage, force it into the film. It, it works okay. I still Plan Nine from Outer Space is one of my favorite movies of all time. So, you're you're going to be hard pressed to find me saying something bad about it. But I do understand the criticisms people have of it. But it's still a brilliant film. It's an absolutely beautiful film. And um, you know, had there been footage that Ed had that wasn't silent and he used it, he he would have given Bella dialogue and anything. Um, but there, um, uh, but but sadly. He did the black sleep, and um, uh, and then uh, we might go over like five extra minutes if you guys are okay with that. Um, uh, anybody have to dash immediately? Are you good with a no. few extra minutes? No, okay. Okay. Uh, so, uh, but but sadly, I, I was reading also in the. Let me see if I have this. I have a whole bunch of post-it notes in my books here, um, and. Um, yeah, Myla Nurmi, um, uh, who played, uh, she, she was a vampire. She was in Plan 9 from Outer Space. Before Plan 9 from Outer Space even began filming and before Bella passed away, she actually was part of a publicity tour for Bride of the Monster. And, uh, this is what she said about that. Uh, she said, let me tell you about the personal appearance tour that we went on. A group of uh, Ed Wood spooks, right? 
Oh, it was great. Just three weeks before Bella died. They rented a limousine, an antique hearse. In the front, in the front seat was Tor Johnson, bald with white cataracts. Uh, in the back were two little seats for Bella Lugosi and my flunky named Excelsior. He had on a black velvet uh, drinking gown on backwards, so that was like the madman, or the so it was like a mandarin collar. He carried an antique violin case with a, a foot sticking out, and he wore a great poison ring. Uh, he looked very ominous, like a mad scientist. I'm lying in the coffin in the back uh, as Vampira. We were tub-thumping Bride of the Monster. Uh, we pull up uh, at the Pick Theater, and uh, there was a bit of paparazzi, but not much, but a bit. And they open the side of the hearse. Uh, they wheel this coffin out, and I'm dead, right? I came out feet first, uh, and the camera shot up between my legs. Oh, yeah, this is kind of funny. Later, they spread photographs saying they saw a, a black spot up there saying it was beaver. Uh, but that was my black girdle. I hate to disappoint 10 million fans, but that's the way it was. Anyway, we went... <laughs> We went on in the theater. Myla Nermy was quite a character, by the way. Her interviews with her are great. Uh, anyway, we went uh, to the theater, and I had uh, to guide Tor down the aisle because he couldn't see with those white cataract lenses. Bella was staggering, and Tor couldn't see. People were throwing popcorn. They were so disrespectful and angry. And one woman yelled, the blind leading the blind. They hated Bella. He had so much bad publicity about being a drug addict, and they were vicious. Bella got uh, uh, out of his deathbed to make this appearance that night. He was staggering because he was dying. And the woman saying, the blind leading the blind, he was such a sweet man. One of the sweetest people I've ever met. After we left uh, the pick, we drove to Inglewood, where Bride of the Monster was playing. After uh, we came out, they told us that some teenagers messed up uh, the hearse while we were in the theater. So we were stranded in Inglewood, and we had to get a taxi. In, the, in those days, there was just one dark highway going over the mountains, winding through those dark mountains, La Brea, and the oil wells pumping. Very spooky. So there, uh, so there we are in the taxi. All four of us crowded in. These teenage thugs followed us and pulled us to the side of the road in the deepest, darkest part of, the, uh, of this oily abyss. The cab driver was radioing the police, and Tor Johnson said, Let me talk to them. He said, boys, come home. <laughs> People, I don't know what, what she's saying there, but but she's like, um, uh, boys, go home. Uh, uh, please, boys, go home. Uh, you know how he talked, the Swedish accent. Uh, um, and they did. They went home after Tor Johnson talked to him. But but Bella was so, they were, they were such good friends, and he was so dedicated to trying to have a comeback. He was, three weeks before he died, he was doing a publicity tour for for Bride of the Monster. Um, and that just is heart-wrenching to me. Um, and again, for any any people who are naysayers out there about uh, the relationship between Ed Wood and, um, and Bella, uh, Bella Lugosi was discovered uh, by his wife, um, who had passed away, when, when he passed away. Uh, at the time, he had a lot of wives, so I don't remember her name. <laughs> he, he kind of habitually married. Um, but Bella died reading an Ed Wood script called The Final Curtain. Oh, how poetic. Yeah. 
And uh, also, just so everybody knows, Ed Wood, I have photographic evidence in this book, was a pallbearer at Bella Lugosi's funeral. Had he not been a friend, would he be a pallbearer? You know? Um, Fair point. You know, I, I mean, it's um, it's just, it, it really is just heartbreaking that he got clean and within a year, you know, uh, you know, he had, you know, the, the, the one film role he got, The Black Sleep, they didn't give him a speaking role. And yeah. unfortunately, the f- footage that Ed shot had no sound. So uh, Bella's last sp- spoken words uh, you know, as much derision and, and mockery as Bride of the Monster gets, that is the, that, that's, those are the last spoken words as an actor from Bella Lugosi on screen. So that's why that movie is so important to me and, and a lot of other people. And I want to say that, uh, I, you know, Martin Landau, uh, he, he got that Oscar for Bella. That's an Oscar yes. that 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 I'm sure Martin Landau would not have argued. Uh, I mean, Martin Landau couldn't have gotten the Oscar without Bella. Those were Bella's words. Those were Ed's words, you know. And uh, you know, and I, I got to say that that was the happiest I was ever as as a human being watching the Oscars ever in my life. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the Oscars, but when I heard that, I was like. There, you know, uh, the, the, there is justice in the world. So, um, so yeah, so uh, that's going to have to be it for me on this. Um, but uh, a fascinating end to a fascinating life. And, uh, you know, I mean, and just one other quick thing. Ed, uh, uh, oh, yeah, and I, I forgot to mention the um, uh, about him committing himself to the state hospital to get clean. Frank Sinatra caught wind of this. And helped pay his bills and went to visit him and met him for the first time. Frank Frank met Bella for the first time in the hospital. So, oh, that's real nice. Yeah. And Ed Ed and other friends would help too. And Ed actually, ironically, was, would go to AA meetings with Bella to try and get him to kick the booze when he was drinking booze. Because, uh, of course, Ed Wood died of alcoholism. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah. And, and of course, Ed Wood died in poverty, too, uh, from addiction. So, um, so they, they, you know, but, uh, but I, Ed, I believe, did write in life uh, to Bella as much uh, as many people think he took advantage of him. Who else was there for him? Where were the people from Universal? They were nowhere to be found, you know? Uh, you know, the, yeah, the, guy, the, the studios tend to wash their hands with people. Yeah. You know, uh, the guy from the Black Sleep couldn't even be bothered to give him a speaking line after he went through recovery. You know, uh, just absurd. So anyway, uh, that's why Bride of the Monster is so important. And that's why Glenn and Glenn or Glenda is so important. Plan 9 from Outer Space is kind of an afterthought in all of this, but it is still a great movie. I recommend watching all three movies in a marathon for Halloween. Do it. Um, uh, but yeah, so uh, we got to end the show. Um, I'm sorry. The, the, fascinating topic for me to talk about so it's easy for me to get carried away so all right um uh let's do parting shots michelle what do you have on the way out um 
not much. Uh, Halloween's rapidly approaching. Be safe, enjoy it, and have a lot of fun. Um, we can be safe because most of our audience, I think, is think are vaccinated, and just you know, enjoy enjoy the season. It's getting chilly out there. Yeah, yeah, and and listen to us. We 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 like good movies here. So, uh, and, and, you know, yes. uh, and good TV shows. So uh, everybody we've talked about tonight, and Miles, you know, Miles had a movie recommendation. Uh, Joe obviously would recommend the Orville or anything Norm MacDonald's been in. He's been, a, it was in a lot of stuff. Um, loads of werewolf movies, loads of Bella Lugosi, Ed Wood. Uh, you know, go out there, find some of this stuff on YouTube, watch the trailers, uh, you know, since we can only play you the audio. But, uh, uh, yeah, very good. So, Miles, um, you got an anniversary coming up, too, you, you wacky kids. I Yeah, I know. It's, uh, yeah. I wonder, uh, is it 24 or 24th? Yeah. 24, so. Pumpkin is uh, the gift for uh, 24, right? I got her something else. <laughs> it still hasn't arrived yet, but uh, it's in the mail. Son of a <laughs> sailor, man. Well, hopefully it arrives on time. But if not, I know uh, Michelle's a reasonable person. So, uh, but uh, anything else, uh, Miles? Before uh... nah, no, nah, it's all covered. All right, uh, Joe. Parting shot. Anything coming up on the Tim Cormel show you want to let us know about? Well, Tim. Tim himself has a recommendation for uh, for Michelle. Um, he recently watched a mini series called Midnight Mass. Oh, sounds I've cool. heard about this. And I've it's heard... got a... Huh? I heard somebody talking about this the other day. Go ahead. Yes, it's got a little vampire vibe to it. Nice. So, um, yeah, he recommends it. He said it's very scary. Uh, it's a lot of blood drinking. And, uh, Michelle, you might want to check it out. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I'm putting it on my list. All right. All right. Anything else, Joe? That's it. All right, we'll see everybody next week for our final show before Halloween. Good night, everybody. Hold the string.